Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program and top of the morning to you. What a great day. You know, here in uh, along the Wasatch Front, it's snowing, it's cold, it's slushy. Almost had my family die in a car crash last night, even though we don't know death was, you know, you know, it wasn't. We don't know if they would have died. But my wife's freaking out. She's like, be careful driving to work today. I'm like, relax. I drive a Honda. <laughs> Get off my back. I'll be fine. Was it icy anywhere? I didn't it was have icy. any. It, it was, was icy. All right. But, you know, she also, you know, gets a little scared when I try to drive straight through a roundabout. Freaks her out. I do that. Do you? Yeah. I mean, if you can hit... Start cutting corners. I have yeah. a half inch on each side of my car, and she's all panicked. Like, you almost hit that. And I'm like, did I? Did I hit it? She's like, no, but you almost did. Anyway, she survived. Now, here's the deal. Tell me. I need your help, because I, I love technology. I love it a lot. In fact, there's a song that I I love to sing, but I won't sing it. Um, I was about to sing it. Were you about to sing yeah, it? Yeah, I was. Do you want to go ahead and sing it? I love technology. Yeah. Not as much as you see. Not really a song. But, but I still love technology. Always and forever. <laughs> you okay. know the words. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that is great. I'm singing that at your wedding. Oh, perfect. I could totally see you singing that at your wedding. I will. I love technology from Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, okay. one of the greatest, oh. one of the greatest cinematic <laughs> explorations of Southern Idaho that you can ever have. Fantastic! So here's the deal. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin, and I just kept hearing Bitcoin thrown around and thrown around and thrown around, and blah blah blah. Bitcoin is Bitcoin that. Here's my dilemma: Bitcoin is the new, you know, it's the new currency on, they call it cryptocurrency. It's the currency that's on the internet. So it's all basically virtual money. It's not even real money. It's virtual money. I have a problem and I need some help. Our expert today will talk about it. But I, I'm already having issues with my technology. And when I tie my money to it, it seems problematic. Last night, I got home at eight o'clock, tired, exhausted, sat down, pulled out my new best friend, which is a game, an app called 1010. Is that it, where you were playing in studio yesterday? Uh-huh. Okay, yes. Yeah. I can't stop. I'm addicted to Tetris. So it's Tetris for people with anxiety issues. So there's no time. There's no time. You don't have pieces dropping from no. the top. You place them. You place them. Yeah. And Takes the stress out of Tetris. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't stop. And so it, it used to be that I would like veg watching TV. I'm I don't even veg watching TV. I can just sit on a couch playing 1010 all night. Is it bad? Is it getting in the way of important oh, things? Yeah. 
Well, then you might need to find a way to curtail that. I sat there and I thought, I've got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and then I played for about another half hour. Okay, you might have a problem. You may need to talk with somebody. I know, but I'm addicted. And if I'm already addicted to 1010, the non-anxiety forming Tetris, Bitcoin. Yeah, what's I'm gonna that going to do, right? Having my money. The interesting thing about Bitcoin is more more places online, stores, retailers are accepting Bitcoin. I know. So you can pay with real money or Bitcoin, which is real money but in a different form. Uh, see, it's all confusing. I found this morning there's several states with bills. Utah, New Hampshire, and uh, New York are all looking at paying your taxes or fees, government-type fees, with Bitcoin with online. Bitcoin. So to clarify, Bitcoin is not like monopoly money. No. It is, it is real money, but it's as real as the money in your bank account. Well, don't go there. The money in your bank account isn't physical. And, I mean, you can no, get the paper money, but it takes time, yeah, right? It's just sort true. of digitally exists in your bank account yeah. in the same way Bitcoin does, except it exists outside of the banking industry. See, that's what they're doing. They're building Bitcoin around government and bank. I mean, away from governments and banks. Right, so it's not going to be regulated by what's happening in the government. Yeah, I mean, unless that the goal? that's the goal. But then, of course, the, the I imagine there's at. forces at, at foot trying to yes, yes. regulate everything because that's how society works. Regulation. You know what I've decided on this show? We don't regulate enough. No. Uh, James, write this down. Check. Uh, more regulation. Okay. On the show mm-hmm. and off the show. All right. Signed, Matt. And we'll need more meetings to discuss uh, We need regulation. more meetings to discuss regulation on and off the show. Uh, signed, Matt. Send that to all the people. So okay. big Bitcoin's coming up. Yes. So we'll talk about uh, that with our guest coming up here in, the, okay. in a little bit here. Other technology type news. Oh, boy. Hillary Clinton. Yes. When she was Secretary of State. Uh-huh. Used a personal email address instead of a government email address to okay. conduct state business. Why? That's the question. Why? See, that's naughty. See, that, people are going to get on her. They're going to get on her. It says she never had an email. Her uh, her uh, assistants, her aides never set up an email for her. She would email her assistants with the idea that then they it's in their government email. Interesting. And then that's how we have a the documents that you have to have for government service, except nobody was printing these things off, mm-hmm. so nobody knows... What if she, you have all of them or just whatever. Because she sent over, what is it, 55,000 pages of emails oh, wow. to the uh, the government so they can have their uh, – in compliance with the Federal Records Act. But they don't know if they have them all because she was emailing people from See, a personal account that – Honestly, that's probably uh, what I would do. I mean it's probably illegal. But the reality is she knew she was going to have to turn them all in. Yes. And, you know – She'd have her own side. Like, I'd have to have mine, my special scores when I get really high scores on 1010. They automatically go to my Facebook page, and they right. could also send me an email. I don't want They're those saved. going to the government, so I would probably have my own email. But I feel like people should have seen this coming, though, when they were receiving emails from Hillary Rocks 224 <laughs> at whatever.com. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. A great and then it says that the uh, her exclusive use of her personal account was unusual and may have been against regulations. Oh, for sure, it was unusual and against regulations. I'd pay fifty bucks to see what her password is. Right, it could be something like 
you know, Hillary. Yeah. Clinton. One, two, three, four. Hillary domination. Twenty sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> Power. Yeah. Or I can't. I can't believe Obama beat me. Yeah. Obama. Who? Yeah. So yeah, it could be anything. So she's under fire for her use of technology. And, well. So. Again, I'm glad nobody gets on me. I've got technology issues. And yet, I'm, I'm addicted, and I'm admitting it. And yesterday, yeah. Twitter, yeah. Suspended two thousand ISIS. Twitter accounts, uh, <laughs> and ISIS spokesperson comes out and says what? that now we're going after. Now we want to target. We will kill the, uh, everybody at Twitter. The founders of Twitter, and for you know coming at them and attacking them, and they're they're like, hey, what about free speech? You know, you messed with our Twitter feed. <laughs> Prepare to die. That is crazy. You don't. You know what? That's a rule. Do not turn off ISIS's Twitter feeds. That's a Twitter spokesman said that the website team was investigating the veracity of these threats with relevant law enforcement officials. Oh my heavens! So you take down their Twitter site, they get mad. Well, just a special shout out to the folks at Twitter. Thanks, thank you. Thanks, Twitter. Thanks, Twitter. It really for, is nice, though. I mean, that, it really. He's, they're yeah, taking on ISIS. Yeah, and in the past, that's been a struggle with Twitter that they haven't actually taken any efforts to to do that kind of stuff. But now they're really, now they're getting serious. They got teeth. And if you know what, if Bitcoin would pull down the money from ISIS, we have the battle. Do you even know what Bitcoin is, folks? Because it's a, it's an interesting topic. I spent a lot of yesterday studying it, and I don't think I made it very far. We are going to be talking about how money is changing. It's turning into virtual currency, and one of the leaders in that virtual currency world is called Bitcoin. Trace Mayer is going to be joining us. He is uh, he's, he's an advocate for Bitcoin. He's an entrepreneur, an investor, and a journalist, a monetary scientist, and a leading ex- expert on Bitcoin and gold. He's going to come and teach us the ins and outs, the ropes to understanding this uh, cryptocurrency Bitcoin. We'll be right back, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the way we shop and handle our money was forever changed with the introduction of credit. Do you remember those days? Remember, you just used to be cash, right? And then eventually credit. You could get maybe even credit from a store owner, and they'd write down your information. You know, you had your JCPenney's credit card, your Sears credit card. Well, with the use of credit cards, the exchange of cash has become something uh, almost archaic. In 2009, a new form of monetary exchange was introduced, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is an online payment system invented by Satoshi Nakamoto, which we got to talk about because that may not actually be his name. The questions now are, what exactly is Bitcoin? Is Bitcoin going to take over the way we pay for our goods? And in this future of, uh, and is this the future of our money? Interesting thing about Bitcoin, folks, if you haven't heard about it, uh, we're going to get into it right now with our guest, Trace uh, Mayer. Trace Mayer is an entrepreneur, an investor, a journalist, a monetary scientist, and the leading expert on Bitcoin and gold. Trace, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Oh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. Now, you have a lot of splaining to do because this is Bitcoin. It's it's confusing just, I think, for the average person. But if somebody's out there that hasn't ever heard of Bitcoin, can you give us just a, a an explanation, kind of an overview? What is it? What's the goal of it? And, uh, and how does it work? Well, Bitcoin is a new Internet protocol. Just like we're able to send emails over the Internet, just like we're able to browse uh, websites over the Internet, just like we're able to do voice over the Internet with things like Skype, uh, with Bitcoin, we're able to have what's called distributed consensus. We're able to have a way to have everybody agree on what the state of the database is. And one application of that is money, because when we're dealing with money, uh, and I send something, to, I send some money to you. We both want to agree on what the state of the ledger is, hmm. on what that the money went from my pocket to your pocket. So it really is just. It's interesting. You, you're calling it. Um, it's just basically like it's a feature. What do you call it? An app, basically. Yeah, currency. The currency application of Bitcoin is just one app of thousands of apps. Okay. Yeah. Um, an an analogy you can think of. Uh, Bitcoin is like, I have a sheet of paper, and you have a sheet of paper, and everybody in the world has this sheet of paper. And as soon as I make a change to the sheet of paper, everybody else, all of their sheets of paper change instantaneously, and we all have the same writing on our sheet of paper. Hmm. We all have distributed consensus. So, uh, so we all we all agree on what the current state of the sheet of paper is. And we're all on the same page, and then that way we know a transaction has gone through. Um, so really, like you're saying, it's a protocol. And I guess one of the benefits of it, and the reason why so many people are being drawn to kind of this cryptocurrency idea, is because it's free. It's it's um, you know, there's not it's not going to go through banks. It's not going to have controls of banks. Uh, is that one of the main ideas as to why it's so popular? Yeah, it's uh, as far as the cost of actually running the network and things like that, it's all built into the rules of the protocol. Uh, and so it is effectively free for almost everybody using it, or uh, there's a very, very small de minimis uh, fee that you can pay, which is a fraction of a penny in most cases. Uh, you can pay more if you want, and then your your transaction gets higher priority to be processed. Uh, and, but it's still very competitive. Well, and it's being used all over the place. When I, I saw a list of everybody that's using Bitcoin, and it's companies from Target to CVS to Subway, uh, other organizations like PayPal. Obviously, they're online. Virgin Galactic, they're kind of an, an early adopter of it. Um, but on and on and on. Expedia, you can get travel. But a lot of these are the online online companies, right? So is Bitcoin becoming, or Bitcoin or any of the kind of uh, cryptocurrency groups, are they becoming the preference for online uh, you know, transactions? Well, I think right now it's still very much in its infancy. For example, you mentioned Virgin. Uh, the Virgin Galactic, they sell space flights. Uh, one of the companies I invested in called BitPay, they're really driving this merchant adoption, and they have over 50,000 merchants, and hmm. they integrate with Braintree, which is a PayPal subsidiary. So every Braintree uh, merchant, which includes Airbnb and Uber and some of these other players, 
they can just flip a switch and accept Bitcoin. Uh, currently, they haven't done that yet, but uh, we're really starting to see merchant adoption growing ever since Overstock.com became the first publicly traded company to accept Bitcoin about mm-hmm. a year ago. Well, and and that's interesting. Like, just just to give you a heads up, I, don't, I bet you heard about the legislation here in Utah where they're trying, they're basically going to accept and, and become Bitcoin friendly as a government, as is New Hampshire has a legislation in New York City, so that people can actually pay their taxes using Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. It's, and I think Overstock's the one really kind of driving that behind yeah. Utah. Yep. What we're finding is this is new innovation. And back when the internet came about, when we had hypertext transfer protocol or HTTP, we had the, the U.S. Senate introduced the Communications and Decency Act, which made it very friendly for people operating websites in order to continue. And as a result, we got the Ebays and the Amazons and the Facebooks uh, created here in the United States. And so likewise, we're going to need very competitive legislation to keep the innovation here. Otherwise, it's going to go to places like the Isle of Man, for example. They're introducing... Uh, very friendly legislation this month, and they're really actively courting the Bitcoin startups, uh, and they've already got about 60 of the top ones to move there. Hmm. And so, you know, if we, if we want the startups to be created in Silicon Valley or in uh, Silicon Slopes, which is what, the, what, what they're calling Utah now, yeah. then having legislation like this is very key. So it's, very, it's, it's pro-business, also, yeah. Yeah, it's very pro-business, but also, I mean, this this is extremely complicated technology created by PhDs in computer science and cryptography and mathematics and statistics. And so, you know, we have to keep that human capital in the U.S. Otherwise, it's going to go to places like Isle of Man, London, Singapore, uh, Frankfurt, uh, etc. Huh. Is it? And we don't want we don't want that to happen. Or, you know, New York, in my opinion, really could fall behind as the financial capital of the world. Well, but yeah, I mean, if everything's kind of moving online and and if I mean, I you could see a day in 20 years or whatever, maybe sooner when, you know, the transaction can just be done with, you know, an email and, and a friendly, you know, app to app or whatever connection saying, yeah, we've transferred that money all as well. Talk about how people go about accruing a Bitcoin. So it's. I mean, you could just trade your cash for Bitcoins, but you can also go out and mine them. Talk about the mining process, because this is this to me was a whole other side of it where people can actually use their computers to make money. Yeah, well, not so much now. Mining has gotten very industrialized. It's oh, gotten it? extremely competitive. Uh, and so China has really taken the lead here. Uh, but... You know, earlier in the days of Bitcoin, yeah, you could just turn on your computer and it would start running uh, the network, the protocol, and as a result, you'd most likely get rewarded some Bitcoins. Uh, that's one way to acquire them, but it's not very feasible for the average player anymore. Uh, so you can get Bitcoins from services like Circle, uh, Circle.com. They've got a great app for your iPhone, and you can link it with your bank account or your credit card and just buy Bitcoins that way. You can get them from your friends. You can, you know, give them 20 bucks or pay for dinner, and they'll reimburse you with some Bitcoins, something like that. Uh, You can go to an exchange. Like, I'm an investor in the Kraken exchange. 
Uh, we only do things completely legally compliant, so we're mainly only in the EU. Uh, we don't service much of the U.S. because the U.S. has very draconian money service business laws, and so we're waiting for that to get cleared up. Uh, but those are the main ways to go about acquiring some Bitcoin so that you can start spending them. Is it, I mean, I guess it, Bitcoin has a, a little bit of a shady history, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, it did file for bankruptcy many years ago, didn't it? And also, isn't it, wasn't it originally tied to uh, some, um, I don't know, organizations that more immediately adopted it? I mean, or maybe it's just more the safety of it. It's, it's it it's not as regulated, I guess, which has a has an advantage. But it, it, is your money as safe? Well, you know, to get to get to the two main questions there, I'll start with uh, when it comes to money and currency. We had commodity money, things like gold and silver. Then we had fiat currency, things like the dollar, or the euro, and now we have these math based currencies uh, like Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. And the Bitcoins themselves are just like gold. They're, there's no counterparty risk. There's no third party involved in the transaction. There's no one to declare bankruptcy, yeah. you could say. Yeah. Uh, and so what you're, what you're getting at is there was a big Bitcoin exchange called Mt. Gox based in Japan, and they, they declared bankruptcy. Okay. But it wasn't actually Bitcoin that declared bankruptcy. Uh, and over at Kraken, we're, we actually were appointed by the Tokyo government to handle the resolution of the receivership okay. with, uh, in connection with that bankruptcy. Uh, so that's, that's a little bit about Bitcoin and why there's no risk in terms of Bitcoin itself. It's kind of like when you have a gold coin, you don't have any risk with Bank of America or something. Uh, you do have exchange rate risk. You know, the the value of gold or Bitcoin fluctuates against yeah. dollars yeah. or real estate or everything. And that's that's a lot of fun because people like to chase the rabbit when the price goes up. <laughs> um, you know, the the other the other point. Oh, gosh, what was the other one well, you were? Well, was it is about? it? I mean, I guess is it safe for me, somebody who's not like super advanced technologically? I mean, I do play 1010. Which is like Tetris, but um, <laughs> but I wonder if you could lose your bitcoins. I mean, if they're all going to be stored in a Bitcoin wallet, and then all of a sudden I reboot my phone and I lose my wallet or whatever, could I lose my bitcoins? I mean, I I read of stuff people losing seventy five hundred bitcoin or whatever, or people make. I mean, I saw a video online about a guy that bought a bitcoin but couldn't get couldn't get the vending machine the bitcoin vending machine to give him his money back so is it, oh, no. is it is it just still too early in the technology or is it just getting better every day is it safe uh i think it's largely safe for the the new user who's not very technologically inclined uh i actually wrote a, a free bitcoin guide for this it's at freebitcoinguide.com and what people need to understand is in cryptography, there's something called the public key and the private key. Uh, the private key, it's a, it's basically just a number. And you use that number to solve a math problem. And when you are able to solve that math problem, that's what moves the Bitcoins. Yeah. And so you have to keep that private key private. You have to keep it secret. And now we have applications like on the iPhone, you can use Bread Wallet. And it's a free wallet to store your bitcoins, and it's uh, it's I would say very safe to use with 
like $100 worth of Bitcoins because the probability that it could actually get compromised is very low and it's not a ton of money to lose. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know how to send emails and you know how to log into your Amazon account. You know how to watch YouTube's on uh, YouTube videos. You right. know how to search on Google. This is just another form of technology that I think it's very worthwhile for people to at least to learn how to use uh, in some capacity. You bet. We're talking with Trace Meyer, who is a leading expert on Bitcoin and gold. He's a monetary scientist. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, my friends. It's uh, I think it's here to stay, and we better at least understand it, get on the bandwagon, and figure out uh, how we're going to use it ourselves. Again, cryptocurrency. More with Trace Meyer right here after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Right now we're talking with uh, Trace Meyer, uh, Mayer, and he's teaching us about Bitcoin. He's a leading expert on Bitcoin and gold. He's a journalist, an investor, an entrepreneur, a monetary scientist. Folks, Bitcoin's here. And again, there's, a, there's dozens and dozens of other cryptocurrency uh, protocols. The one we're talking about today is Bitcoin, which happens to be kind of taking off it's uh, accepted by thousands, now apparently 50,000 kind of retail stores as well. And so um, it's, it's all of a sudden you have an, an entirely new protocol for your how to process money, your money, your Bitcoin on via the Internet. You can buy stuff. You can purchase. I mean, you can um, you can create transactions. You, it, it's basically its own market. Uh, and and interestingly too to date i guess it's not overly regulated is is that tri- is that true trace how regulated is it and is that helpful uh, bitcoin, yeah i mean bitcoin itself it really depends a lot on how you use it it seems to be how the regulators are uh, approaching it and so if you use it uh like as a money service business then you usually are going to fall in that bucket um the IRS has tax guidance already issued for how to treat any type of capital gains or losses with it. And uh, some jurisdictions are very open and free about it, like uh, London or the Isle of Man. So it's it's very exciting. Is, is, it, is it a pretty fluid value? Does it go up and down or is it pretty stable like, I guess, I mean, like, I guess gold might be? Uh, no, it's <laughs> no, it, it's a lot of fun. You you get to chase the rabbit a lot with uh, Bitcoin. Right uh, now, it's about two hundred and sixty-five dollars, right? A Bitcoin. Yeah, correct. And uh, you know, three years ago it was maybe five dollars, and <laughs> uh, two years ago it was fifteen, and a year ago it was twelve hundred. Now it's two sixty-five. It really kind of bounces all over the place. Wow, uh, largely because it's so brand new. Yeah, uh, yeah. If it were to actually be used by a large portion of the population, then I mean, it, it would have to be, you know, ten thousand to a hundred thousand a coin easily, easily. Really, and th- and yeah, then I guess I mean, right, that, that that becomes for you as an investor that becomes fun, but it also seems like 
you know, you wouldn't. It's, it's. I guess you'd only want it to be a small part of your portfolio. Uh, well, I mean, if it goes up like that, it starts becoming a large part. But just to put it in comparison, Bitcoin's doing about eighty thousand transactions per day, and just in the European Union alone, there's two hundred seventy-four million transactions oh, wow. yeah. per day. Yeah, uh, done with 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 stuff. So, I mean, Bitcoin is is just a proof of concept. It's just in its infancy right now, but it does have this potential to be massive. I mean, just be absolutely massive, which I think a lot of people are kind of gravitating towards because it's the first practical implementation of triple entry bookkeeping. Uh, this is a huge advancement in terms of accounting. And, you know, we got double entry bookkeeping over 500 years ago. So it's going to revolutionize finance, accounting, how we hold assets, how we store and transfer assets, all of this stuff. Uh, we have to go back and think, how would things be different if we had this technology when we built out everything over the last 500 years? Hmm. Talk about the future of it. What's, how, how, how do you see it playing out? How do you see 30 years from now Bitcoin growing and how would it become part of our lives? Yeah, I mean, 30 years from now, we'll probably uh, be using some type of cryptocurrency or digital currency like Bitcoin. It'll most likely be either Bitcoin or interoperable with Bitcoin. Uh, we'll be holding things like our self-driving cars. Uh, title to that will actually be on the blockchain, uh, on this ledger. Uh, we'll be able to control assets like cars and houses and condos, drones, uh, all through through the, these private keys. Uh, you could say it's these private keys of wealth, and that's how we're going to be transferring and moving uh, things that we own and things that we control. And it's all going to be mathematically provable. That's what's so exciting about Bitcoin is like you can d- literally do a math problem and prove whether that Bitcoin is legitimate or not. And hmm. and there's never, you like you can't fake that. And no amount of violence can, can solve a math problem. So you don't have to worry about fake Bitcoins like you do with fake gold or fake silver or fake dollars. If it's all, if it's all, even I guess encrypted and protected online in your wallet or your bit chain, I think you were calling it. What um, uh, blockchain? Blockchain. What can it not fairly easily be accessed or stolen? I guess, but I that know, would just be the math equation that they, they were they took it from you. Yeah, in terms of in terms of how many private keys can possibly exist, what's called the key space in cryptography. It's two to the 255th power, and that's more atoms than exist in the entire universe. Uh, I mean, it's like in terms of probabilities and statistics, uh, it's it, we, 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 if Bitcoin, if the encryption used with Bitcoin were to be compromised, we would have much larger problems. Every U.S. government secret that's top secret or classified would be compromised. All of our online banking and all of our current financial system would be compromised because they use the same encryption protocols. They use the, the same equations. So, you know, if Bitcoin were compromised, this other stuff's going to be compromised, and the Internet and all of our information systems as we know it would no longer be trustworthy. And so I, I see that as being a very low probability. And you really see everything, every asset, I guess even debts, would they all become part of this ledger, this blockchain? Oh, yeah. I mean, every every type of asset. But then other things also. For example, 
uh, contracts. We could we could have contracts put into the blockchain, uh, marriage vows. Hmm. Uh, we could have alimony. Anytime you need a, uh, yeah, every every time you need a canonical version of something, uh, you know, if you're Jewish, the the Talmud could be put in there. Uh, because this blockchain becomes becomes an unalterable, unforgeable, unchangeable record of something, hmm. and so you know we can u- we can use that and apply that in so many different ways. It's powerful. No wonder you're so interested in it. And I mean, then the economic values, the 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 opportunity. Is it? It seems like I, somewhere I just read a statistic. I think that's only like forty percent of the world are ev- even have access to the internet. So really, yeah, is this just an elite ideal, or, or do you see this, you know, be, I mean, is it just something that's going to happen to the rich countries? I, I actually think that it's going to probably be taken up faster in places like South America and Africa. I have a friend, she's over in Kenya right now working on her company called BitPesa. Hmm. Right now, M-Pesa, which is mobile money transferred over their cell phones, it accounts for something like, a huge percentage of GDP, like 40 or 70% wow. or something. And I see Bitcoin largely being able to replace that because it's so much faster, cheaper, more secure, uh, all these positive properties. And so uh, just like, you know, we, we had to go from, from cash to bank accounts to credit cards to Bitcoin, whereas a lot of these other places, they're going to go straight from cash to Bitcoin. They're, yeah. they're going to skip it just like they skipped landlines and went to cell phones. Do you, um, what should we be doing? If you're the average person, maybe uh, not a science major, maybe not great at math, okay on a phone, what should we be doing to make sure we at least understand the opportunities of of the cryptocurrency market and, 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 and prepare ourselves for it and make sure we're not, we don't kind of miss it? Yeah, uh, well, you know, I wrote a guide, freebitcoinguide.com. I would recommend people get the free app called Bread Wallet on their iPhone uh, and then go to circle.com and buy a couple bitcoins and try to send the bitcoins from Circle to your iPhone. And as soon as you send them, they, they should show up within a minute or so. And then you're like, oh, man, that wasn't very hard. Yeah. It's kind of like riding a bike. You know, you just have to kind of get on there and, and try it. And once you once you start using it, that's how you really begin to understand it. Because it's it's really not that complicated, like the actual usage of it. Just like sending an email with Gmail is not very, very difficult. You use Gmail or Yahoo or something. Right. Uh, I mean, we all know kind of how to do that. I mean, just take take a little bit of time. Uh, unfortunately, you, you have to be willing to to use a little bit of money to do it. You know, mm-hmm. use like twenty bucks or fifty bucks, and then try to go. Once you get it to your to your bread wallet on your iPhone, go try and find something to buy. Uh, there's actually three kids up in Cache Valley that they've got a website called Bees Bros, like B E E S B R O S dot yeah. com, and they sell honey caramels and they sell honey and uh, roasted almonds, like. Yeah, so go to Circle, get some Bitcoins, try to buy some honey caramels from these kids, uh, young entrepreneurs, and, you know, just, just try to make it happen. You'll feel, you'll feel like, man, I accomplished something. I actually figured it out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and it's, it's really like, I guess, all technology, isn't it? You just got to get in and play around with it and learn. And, and, and just, I mean, I think more and more you're going to see at locations that, you know, they accept Bitcoin and then try it out. Try it. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's really what you have to do. We know how to do it with cash. You know, we know how to make change. Right. And we know how to use our credit cards, and we know how to buy stuff online. Buying stuff online is so much easier with Bitcoin. Uh, it just unbelievably easier because you don't even have to put in your name or address or like any of that stuff with a credit card. That Bitcoin's just so much easier to, oh, yeah. to use online. So it's you know it's really you really just have to. I, I'd say the hardest part is acquiring the bitcoins. But if you use Circle, uh, they've made it really easy uh, to actually get bitcoins from your bank account, and they're re- really reasonably priced and got a great entrepreneur behind them. Can you buy half a bitcoin? Oh yeah, Bitcoin is divisible yeah. to the eighth digit. So, so you, you, you could you buy. could go in and just put twenty dollars into Bitcoin and get twenty dollars worth and go test it on a low barrier right. to entry. Right. Yeah, you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You 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 can get you you could get you know twenty bucks worth or five bucks worth or something. In fact, that's what I usually do with my friends because they they think it's going to take like two hours to figure this out, and I just have them download the Bread Wallet app on their phone and I send them Bitcoins and. And they have five dollars worth of bitcoins in less than a minute. That's great. And yeah, so it's, I mean, it's really not—it's not as complicated as people kind of make it out. And then uh, with the with my free Bitcoin guide, I, I show people a lot of other things they can do with it. I teach people more about the background of it and how it works and all of that. Well, Trace, we we appreciate your help. I mean, really, it's just more. It's just more, more, more. And the reality is, we need to learn it, folks. It seems like. Um, it's not going away. And honestly, it's when you hear Trace talk about it, it's exciting. So if you want more information about what Trace does, go to his website, TraceMayer, M-A-Y-E-R dot net, TraceMayer dot net. Also, you can find uh, there the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast that he puts together. Go test it out. A little Bitcoin action, everybody. We're going to take a break, come back, uh, do a little bit of the Coach's Corner. When we come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, this whole discussion about Bitcoin... It, I think it just leaves a lot of people unsettled as we sit here and <laughs> I can't even find my Dropbox that was on my desktop for eons. It's now missing. And I'm supposed to be able to keep all my money in a bit wallet. Come on. Anyway, you know what it reminds me of actually are, you know, when you, you uh, have a health care plan where you can put money into your health plan what are those called? Do you know, Terry? Uh, do you know? The, you HSA? Put, a health savings account? A health savings account. So you put money into your health savings account, and it's it, then it's it, you can uh, use the money tax-free, I guess, to go take care of your health care issues. The crazy thing about it is it's, it's a great idea. It's saving you money, but you have to manage it, and you have to anticipate it and think about it and use your money and make sure you're using it, and it, and it puts more effort into life. And I think Bitcoin right now is the same for a lot of us. It's something you have to think through and work on, pay attention to. But again, I don't know that we should live our lives out of the fear of 
Bitcoin. I mean, I th- go practice it with $5. Go practice it with $10. I remember when PayPal came out and my entire company started running on PayPal, I'd go do a speech and we'd do thousands of dollars in transactions on a PayPal account from my iPhone. And it was terrifying thinking that all of this money was going back and forth. And yet, interestingly, now, what was it, 10 years later, nine years later, it's, um, it's everyday practice. So it seems like the reality is slow and steady might be the number one way to go about trying to handle probably any of our moves when it comes to um, online, you know, learning, online development. There's still in the back of my mind all of these other fears. We've heard of Bitcoin uh, thieves that can go in and still and, and basically break accounts. So, you know, nothing is risk-free. And obviously, Trace knows a lot more about it. It just seems like, too, you kind of got to know how to play with the big boys if you're going to play with the big boys. So start slow. And also, don't let your fears drive this. You know, there's a time when each and every one of us are going to have to learn a lot of this stuff. I, I do believe, seriously, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, you're going to have a lot of information uh, out there. And, and that's another thing I think a lot of us are going to have to get over or figure out. We are so used to having a free life where, you know, our bank accounts don't necessarily talk to our postal system and our postal system doesn't necessarily talk to our gym membership. And we, we have all these very sporadic kind of spread out different experiences in life. And yet... Maybe the future isn't going to be that unconnected. Maybe the future is going to be a life that is much more integrated, where all of your parts of life are going to talk to one another. And for some, that's a scary, scary issue. Um, Your privacy might already be going away. Simply when you think of Facebook and when you think of what we're posting on Facebook, uh, they just had uh, BYU just send out letters to all the kids that got in or didn't get into Brigham Young University. And some of you may not know, BYU is a really difficult school to get into. I think the average GPA that got accepted was like a 3.8 something GPA. (laughs) Crazy. And um, it's hard to get into this school. So interestingly, we could just get on Facebook and start seeing letter by letter by letter, everybody basically announcing if they got into BYU or they didn't get into BYU. So a lot of our privacy is already given up, and a lot of our privacy we just give up, right? We just willingly throw out there and eh. Maybe that's one of the keys. When it comes to this new age and the new, you know, the new world we're living in, you probably need to be a little more intentional to make sure you stay ahead of the curve in the technology And uh, you also stay ahead of the curve, I think, in the security and the protection of your family. We think about it. There's so many things my kids can access online that they would have had to go to Amsterdam when I was a kid to get half of the stuff. And now my kids can get it by just mistakenly entering a URL. (sighs) Now, that could tear us apart. That could make us afraid. Simultaneously... We now have the ability to go on and basically listen to lessons from Harvard and Stanford and Yale and sit in on free classes from all of those places. 
So, right, there's the, there's the yin and the yang, the good and the bad. There's the positive. There's the negative. And if we just in, create a lot of fear and, and have a lot of fear about it, and we have so much fear that we don't jump in and start learning, we're in trouble. The, the, the solution to handling this, this technical, technological you know, influx, is not avoidance. It's not hiding. It's not bur- bur- burying our heads in the sand. It's figuring it out. It's taking advantage of these opportunities. And so um, it doesn't mean you have to do so blindly. Let's be clear. But let's start also grabbing and taking a hold of this. I remember many years ago with my grandfather-in-law, I was asked basically to help him set up his email and to teach him how to use Windows. And it was the longest, it was the longest week of my life because I would point to the computer screen and say, okay, see, Grandpa, this is the window. That's a window. And he's like, no, that's a box. And I'm like, and he points to the window. That's a window. That's a box. Okay, well, they call that a window. And then I remember putting his hand on the mouse and having him move the mouse back and forth and having him watch that that's moving the cursor and just getting him to open a window. And then I wrote down every step, step by step, how you open your email so that he could send emails to his son who was uh, – that he and his wife were living in um, England. And Well, lo- long story short, he couldn't do any of it. <laughs> but he wanted to so badly. Folks, it's, it's a different age, isn't it? And as a 45-year-old guy, I'm already behind the curve. I'm already – messed up, really. My kids at 10, at 8, are doing stuff I never could have done. And so if you're a 40-plus or if you're a 30-plus, pick up your game, folks. And it doesn't mean, again, you got to go do Bitcoin. But don't run away from it either. Don't pretend like it's not going to happen. Don't think that you're not going to have to use your phone because guess what? You are. Don't think that you're going to be able to reach your grandchildren just by sending them a letter. Uh, interesting thing about um, text messaging, they have about a 99% open rate for your youth. Your kids are getting 20,000, 30,000 text messages a month that could be anything from a, the letter K to a, a whole sentence, heaven forbid. And yet those kids open up every single one of those. <sighs> Technology is the future, my friends. Let's make sure we're not letting it just fly by without, you know, somehow somehow getting involved and strengthening ourselves, increasing our ability to influence the lives of others. We are going to take a break. Hour number one. It's in, it's in the books. It's done. Next uh, hour, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up as well, especially we're going to get into how conflict might make your life better. Stick with us, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the journey of life. Welcome to the program. Hour number two. We've we've made it one hour. We always like to say nobody died, although two were maimed. 
We we made it through the Bitcoin. That that's a hard topic because when he started talking numbers, he lost me. I don't know if you guys know this, but Townsends don't do math. I'm a uh, I'm a I'm a science I'm a I'm a human scientist. You're in the soft sciences. I'm in the soft sciences. <laughs> Is there math involved? No, that's for no. me. Townsends <laughs> don't do math. And should we? I mean, really. If I if I if I was doing math, I'd be a doctor by now. I mean, like I'm I am a doctor, not to brag, but I wouldn't be not a doctor one of, those doctors. of the human. I'd be a doctor of the human body, and then I'd spend every day checking moles. Nope, that one's good. <laughs> oh, <laughs> moving yeah. on. Uh, a B C. Yep, it's good. Uh, a B C. Yep, it's good. That math was totally worth it. That's right. Or I'd be a dentist. Oh, got that cavity filled. Oh, there's a cavity. Oh, got that cavity filled. Life's hard. Yeah. And then when you finally make it big and you are you finally made it through med school or dental school, then you realize you're just filling cavities. Oh, there's one. Dentists. That's why we have it so much better on this radio show. <laughs> No day is ever like the other day. No day is like the day previous. Never. So we just talked about Bitcoin. You're changing the subject. Technology. You're trying to because, you know, dentists and here. You're kind of having an existential crisis right now. Do you see that? You you have a kind of a unwieldy – it's kind of an over-the-top relationship with your phone right now. Man. I do. I totally do. You, you have a game. You're addicted to it. You're... It's not a game, by the way. It's math. It's 10-10. 10-10? Yeah. It seems like it's taken the place of uh, that other app you used. Deer Hunter 2014? Yep. That was the greatest app of all time. Uh, that's where I became like a, a major international hunter. Bagged a lot of big game. Never, ever, ever injuring one animal. Be careful. A man was burned by his iPhone. It was in his pocket, <gasps> and it caught on fire. Oh, boy. You need to be careful. He's recovering from second and third degree burns Yeah. after he said his iPhone exploded in his pocket. What? But how? Like, it gets hot if you this are ha- using it. This happened on Valentine's Day. Yeah. He well, said it, that explains it. He, he said he bent over to pick up his keys and all he heard was a pop. <laughs> and then after a little kind of sizzled sort of sound, there was smoke coming out of his pocket and he felt the burn. His leg was... Feel like it was on fire. He had to get it out, but the he was, oh. he was wearing dress pants, so they, it melted to the See? iPhone. He couldn't get it out of his pocket. That's why I don't wear khakis. So be careful with your technology, Matt. So if you hear a snap, crackle, and pop, and you smell, and you're not eating breakfast, flesh or polyester burning, it's already too late. It's already too late. You're in trouble. Yeah. So now Apple, I'm sure, is all over this. Oh, by the way, I love smoked apples, <laughs> which has nothing to do with iPhone's on fire. Isn't that that's a big deal because yeah. I know what he did. I know what he did. What did he do? He turned his light on his phone. Okay. And he left it on. Because that thing heats that baby up and then he put it in his pocket. Trust me, I've done that. <laughs> He's an expert on his Nobody phone. I, I actually have been burned by my iPhone cord because it was frayed and it lit me on fire. <laughs> but luckily I was only going seventy on a freeway. We were speaking briefly of uh, health plans, managing yes. these sort health of savings, uh, accounts. savings accounts. A member of British Parliament was looking at a solution for the overtaxed national health system yeah. in Britain. 
David Tendrick thinks doctors should look to the stars by using astrology to treat patients. Really? So like like a like a zodiac sign? Oh, are you what are you? Are you Oh, you're a Capricorn? Okay. He 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 also points out that there is some resistance to this idea. I bet. Like <laughs> like from who? The scientists, the from doctors? Everybody else in parliament, they're okay. not really on this. I mean, this. It, it's an approach. He says opponents to astrologies are bullies. And of, uh, he has gone as yeah. far as to call them racist. Okay, I don't so want to be a racist These are bully. his things. But what he says is astrology has a useful diagnostic tool enabling us to see strengths and weaknesses based on our birth date. Okay. Okay, that's one way. Okay, again, we on this show, we are open to all of the ideas. It's a new idea. Let me give you another one. Another diagnostic tool could be uh, a spin-the-bottle game. <laughs> okay. And if it lands on you, you need an MRI. Or you could just like take a quiz in like GQ magazine and see like diagnose your your. That's not a bad that. idea. You could go to WebMD. Yep. You know what? Send this. Make a note, James. Okay. Write this down. Dear UK, uh, need help with medical diagnostics? Try WebMD. Love, Doctor Matt Townsend. End of note. End note. Send it right away. Okay. <laughs> I like how you were writing that. That's a, that was incredible. By the way, that's top-notch radio right there. Oh, yeah. Got sound effects and everything. <laughs> <laughs> My problem with WebMD is that it always says I have cancer or some sort of um, e- extreme internal bleeding. Okay. Well, let me just tell you something, James. As a doctor, don't dismiss what WebMD says. It's like I have a headache, and it says I have a severe head trauma. Well, I think it's probably how you enter the symptoms. Okay, yeah, that's, that's probably true. Like if you are sitting, my eyes are bleeding, <laughs> I can't feel my toes, then you might have a bigger problem than you think. That's true. You might have head cancer. Anything else for us, dog? Jerry's looking at us like we're it's a like bunch of crazies. Head cancer? Come on. Head cancer. Technical term? Big news Cerebral today. Cerebral cancer, yes. President Netanyahu is going to speak to Congress. We B. talked B. about that yesterday. Bibi and Obama. Yes. This is the knockdown. These two are not liking each other. Yesterday, uh, President Obama says that uh, Iran needs to stop its nuclear program for at least 10 years in order to reach an atomic deal. Okay. So, And Bibi still doesn't like that because that's 10 years yeah, too he late. Did, he, because at some point, the Obama administration is looking at it at some point, Iran is going to get this technology. Anyway. And Israel doesn't want them having it at all. And so there's the impasse. Right. So, but I mean, and oh, there's a lot going on there. These two, you know, they need some coaching. They need to sit down. You know what they need? They need. We had a guest on once that said you need to have a uh, they have a shirt that they put on their kids when they fight. And it's a really big it's like the dad's shirt and they put them in the same shirt and they they stick one arm, one gets one arm on the left arm, one gets an arm on the right arm, and they put their heads through the hole, and those kids have to spend the rest of the day together. <laughs> it's kind of mean. It's mean, but don't you think it would help? Oh, yeah. Yeah. My mother-in-law would make the uh, the kids hug. See, that what I would do there is... Was, there was a song they would sing, and then everybody had to give a hug. <laughs> if the White House would just let me in... I, mean, I'm the, I don't know if you've heard, but I've tried to get in a few times over the really? last few days. Secret Service yeah. knows who you are. All over it. <laughs> um, but they, I think they ought, I would take Bibi. I would take Barack. I'd have them face each other about a foot apart, and I wouldn't let them talk. But they had to look into each other's eyes. 
until one of them felt compassion. And I would have them ask, what is it like to be Bibi? Or what is it like to be Barack? And I'd make them stand there for 10 minutes. And I guarantee they'd end up crying. (laughs) That's kind of like torture. It is. It's not like it's Gitmo. It's the White House. Where do we... That's what I do with my clients in my classes. All right. I've done it with a bunch of big, burly Honda employees of Honda of America in Marysville, Ohio. Did they cry? They cried. They hugged. Like, Larry, I've treated you poorly. And then they hug it out. (laughs) Hug it out. That's why we're here, folks. Anyway, that's uh, uh, Netanyahu Netanyahu speaks at 11 a.m. this morning. So 11 11 a.m. Eastern. Eastern. So right now. Oh, in one hour. In one hour. Holy cow. It's happening, my friends. And he means not. He's not trying to disrespect. He even said, I'm not trying to disrespect the president. Here's the deal, folks. Uh, coming up next is a great guest. Art Markman's going to be joining us. And Art is going to teach us about how to not put off making difficult decisions. Did you know that having two decisions that kind of go against each other, that make you have to think about it and force your way through two really hard choices, it might be good for your health. Did you know that? It might actually make you a better decision maker over time. So maybe we can quit running away from the hard goals and start growing and learning. Art Markman, Dr. Art Markman, will be joining us next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever had a decision to make, but you, you had two choices, and the and you had to decide one or the other? And it's hard. And these were two really good choices, but which one do I take? Sometimes, you know, the harder the choice that we have to make, it might be that we're more or less likely, actually, to want to make the decision at all. So... We wanted to bring on an expert who could help us understand how to make better decisions in our lives, and especially when we have conflicting goals that are, that are at play. Dr. Art Markman is joining us. He is a cognitive scientist, and he suggests that these inner conflicting goals could be vital to helping us become better decision makers. Maybe we shouldn't be pushing valuable decision-making opportunities to the side. Dr. Markman uh, serves as the director of the Human Dimensions of Organizations at the University of Texas and is a member of the editorial board of Cognitive Psychology. Dr. Markman, welcome to the program. No, it's great to be here. Thanks so much. It's great to have you. And you wrote an article, and it was uh, I guess it was published in um, Psychology Today. Is mm-hmm. Talk to us about the this uh, – is it – it's dueling commitments, really. It's dueling uh, conflicts that tend to kind of throw us off. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so, so let's think about two different kinds of, 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 of aspects of decisions. So the first is, imagine I've got uh, just a, a decision that's hard because it requires a trade-off. So, um, you know, I, you're trying to move to a new apartment, and, and the apartment has, one of the apartments is really big, the other one's kind of small, but the one that's small is close to where you work, right. and the one that's big is far from where you work. So you've got to trade off the size of the apartment and the, uh, and the commute. Now, ordinarily, we actually find those kinds of decisions really difficult, and, and often we'll, we'll actually push off the decision till later because we don't even want to deal with it. Now, why why is that so difficult? 
Well, we because because we hate making trade-offs. You know, that's true. Yeah, you don't want to lose anything. That's right. You know, we so so we prefer to keep our options open, right? You hear people say this all the time. Yeah. I'm going to keep my options open in the hope that uh, sometime in the future somebody will present you with an opportunity that doesn't require a trade-off at all. Hmm. In fact, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll pick a compromise instead so that we don't have to make the trade-off. So, for example, you know, you go to you go to Bed Bath and Beyond, right? And right. and you face the wall of blenders. Right? You <laughs> the know, blender and, wall. You know, and, and there's the you know, and those blenders have have trade offs, right? There's the there's the cheap rickety blender that costs you almost nothing. And then there's that Rolls Royce of blenders that costs, you know, several hundred dollars but it, it will it will slice and dice everything. Mm-hmm. And then and then there's that middle option, right? It's it's not that expensive and it and it and it does some of the things that you might want to do. And a lot of times you'll find people will just go into stores and and pick that compromise one without even really thinking about it because they think, well, this 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 means I don't have to make the trade off. I'm getting a little bit of each. It's I'm getting a little bit of the good price and a little bit of the features, rather than really thinking carefully. Do I need this number of features? Maybe the the really cheap blender will work for me because I'm only going to pull my blender out once a year. Right. Or maybe I'm the sort of person who's going to become a smoothie king, right? <laughs> and and I'm gonna I'm I, and really that Rolls Royce of blenders is the right one for me. So right. you know we we often defer these decisions and push them off till later in the hope that somebody's just going to give us the perfect option. Um, what, what the new research suggests, though, is that if, if I actually put myself in a situation in which I create a real motivational conflict between the goals, and what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes we make decisions kind of dispassionately. You know, when you go to Bed Bath & Beyond, yeah. you generally aren't that engaged in the choice, right? You're not feeling like you need to use that blender right now. But imagine I put you in a situation in which I really make you feel both the the importance of saving money and the real need to have a blender mm-hmm. right so that i'm so that i'm really experiencing this as a, you know motivationally as 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 you know i'm really driven towards both of these the interesting thing about that situation is that when i'm really engaged in both of these goals at the same time i now actually um uh i i now actually think more carefully about the decision because now my motivational system is so engaged that I actually want to figure out how to resolve this kind of trade-off. Interesting. Do you have and, to be motivated on both sides of the dilemma? Like I'm thinking if a, if a husband's motivated on his position and the wife's motivated on hers, but he's not, he, doesn't, he hasn't ever gotten into her side of the argument, he may not be able to solve it. Does that make that's sense? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you you actually need the conflict internally. Okay. Right. So yeah. because if you're if you're only motivated on one side, then you just you just pick that one side. Right. right? And, Defend and, it. And, yeah. And, right. And and so you know you're you, you know that kind of, of of fight you're talking about you know where a couple gets into a real argument because one of them wants one thing, one of them wants mm-hmm. the other. Um, if you don't internalize the other person's part of the conflict, then you just dig your heels in. Uh, and 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 fight it out, or you know what you you engage in that other strategy. Sometimes you use uh, people use, which also isn't so good, where they just go fine, have what you yeah, want. They give in, and I'm just gonna, yeah. and I'm going to resent you for it forever. Which is compromise uh, again, right? So they just go back to compromise. Well, yeah, exactly. Or give or, up. or giving up your your thing altogether. Yeah, your win, yeah. 
Right. The hard part is the real compromise. The hard part is is to give up a little of what you want uh, and have each side give up a little of what they want. You know, a lot of times they say the best kinds of decisions in those conflict situations are the ones where nobody's really happy uh, immediately. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, again, we're talking with Dr. Art Markman, who is from the University of Texas and is a member of the editorial board of Cognitive Psychology. And one of the things I learned a long time ago is – um, the more you investigate an issue, the more buyer's remorse you tend to have. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Uh, it seems it, it seems counterintuitive, but it's exactly what you're saying here because yeah. you're investing emotion. Well, that's right, and it and and so it. Well, it, there's actually so there's a lot of interesting research on things like buyer's remorse, and a lot of how how much of that you experience depends a little bit on what you end up focusing on. Okay. So if you focus, even if you look into the decision further, if you focus on the wonderful aspects of the choice you made compared to the things you could have had you'll still feel good about your choice. The problem is when we look into things further, we often tend to focus on what, what might have been. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, and, and so the grass is always greener. And, and the more that you focus on the things you could have had, had you chosen differently, then the more buyer's remorse you experience. And so it, you know, it, it really does suggest that after you make a choice and commit to that choice, you really want to focus yourself on, on the really enjoyable aspects of that choice you made, recognizing that, yes, you could have done it differently, but you didn't. So, so live it, live in the decision you made. Yeah, and I guess kind of get over it uh, in a way. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Does it? I mean, it's interesting. So you're basically saying some of us just make decisions, I guess, on the surface level of the the trade offs. But yeah. you're saying to make it to make difficult decision making work for you better, you have to kind of take it out of the features discussion and maybe somehow turn it into something that actually motivates you. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, and and there's there's several reasons for wanting to do that. One of which is that that when you actually use the choice that you're making, right? Whatever it is, right. you know, if it's a blender or uh, or a car or an apartment or whatever it is, you know, you want to actually put yourself into the situation that you're going to experience when you use the thing. And one of the things to remember about a lot of our choices is that we often make our choices comparatively, but then we use things individually. Oh, so, yeah, true. You know, you know, so 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 you know, you stand in front of that wall of blenders, and and you're you're comparing three or sometimes at Bed Bath and Beyond twenty different <laughs> blenders. Um, but when you get home, you're only going to have one. Right, that's right. One blender on the counter. And so one of the things that you really want to do is to stand in front of that one that you're thinking of buying and ask yourself, what's it going to be like to have this thing in my house? Is, is, is this thing alone what I want? Because you're not going to experience it comparatively again. It's right. just going to be that thing that's on your counter. And, and a lot of times we just, we, we really don't take that into consideration. And so we pick the thing that feels best as part of the comparison rather than thinking about what do I really need. So, so we often, for example, over-purchase. 
right? We, we, we buy things that have too many features that we didn't need, and we spend too much money on it because we're really not thinking about what we're going to use it for when we've got the thing at home. Well, and I guess that's the, that's the marketer's delight, right? I mean, now they're like, ah, now we've got them confused with features. But it's, <laughs> well, it's that's, interesting. That's right. I mean, but it seems like that's, I guess, one of the keys to all decision-making. So if this wasn't even a retail purchase, but this was the decision of – uh, you know, the, the person you're dating or somebody you care mm-hmm. about. And you really have to think about it, not just in the idyllic comparative, well, she's got this and she's got this and ideally in the future, but that very question of what's it going to be like working with this person every day in my life that, I mean, even bringing it that close to you could be very helpful. Yes. No, I think, I think that's absolutely right. You know, you, you really want to, you really want to be thinking about a lot of these important choices in terms of, of, you know, what is it that, that is, is going to stand out for you, both in the near term and in the long term. You know, you think about careers, for example, you know, a lot of times, uh, uh, college students will, will think a lot about, well, what career should I take? And they start thinking about, well, this will make me a lot of money. You know, I don't necessarily like it so much, but but at least I'll have the security of the money. And without thinking about, you know, 10 years from now, am I still going to be able to get myself out of bed to want to do this thing right. every day? It's you interesting. Know, and, and yeah. No matter how much stuff you surround yourself with in your life, you know, that stuff isn't going to make you happy if you don't really feel like getting out of bed because because you don't enjoy the things that you do. And and that's why it's so important to be thinking thinking about you know do is this is this something I I really just you know is this really something that I like to do? Now, what do you call the difference? Uh, like, is one just a feature, features versus you know fixed motivation? Do you have names for those? What are the different yeah, so, types? Well, that's a that's a yeah, it's a great question. So I would say that that on the on the one hand, there there are two different dimensions here that matter. The first is. Is, is as we talked about this difference between making comparative decisions versus yeah. individual decisions, and I think that that y- y- you have to ask yourself what is the context in which I'm going to experience this thing, and if it's going to be an individual context, then I really want to focus on each option as an individual rather than making the decision comparatively. That's, That's one it. part. Then the other part is to ask yourself when I engage with this thing, am I going to have to engage with this thing motivationally? Right. So, right. and 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 a lot of the the things in our life are are things we need to engage with motivationally, but some of them aren't. Right. So so you know my my blender, for example, you know I'm I'm probably going to create habits out of that yeah. thing in the long term. And so really, the features of the blender probably matter more than anything else. I don't need to love my blender. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Well, right? you probably ought not. Right. But I should probably love my job yeah. and I should probably love my spouse. Yeah. Right. So those are things where, where I really want to ask myself when I really engage motivationally with these things. Um, you know, can I, you know, in those situations, am I, you know, do I really feel comfortable motivationally with this? And, and that's the, you know, that, that's another element of this that matters. So you probably don't want to pick your spouse just on the basis of features. Yeah, no, totally. You know? and, and again, that's, yeah, like they're rich or they're, you know, they're pretty, they're beautiful. There's, there's right. more depth than that. Uh, let's yeah. let's come back. We're talking with Dr. Art Markman, who's the director of the Human Dimensions of Organizations program at the University of Texas. He's author of several books, including Smart Change, Smart Thinking, and Habits of Leadership. You can find out more about him on his website, artmarkman.com. We'll be right back. More with Art 
talking about better decision-making right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are discussing conflicting goals. Sometimes when you have multiple choices, you know, you've got to go purchase something. They've got a lot of options. The process that you use to go through the decision-making may be impacting you not just right now, but also later on, how you're going to eventually use that product, how you're going to maybe even have some remorse about that product Joining us is Art Markman, and Dr. Markman serves as the Director of the Human Dimensions of Organizations. Uh, I guess that's a department. Is that a department, Art? It's a, it's a brand new program here. What we've done is it's a multidisciplinary department uh, program. What we've done is we've pulled together uh, people from the humanities, from the social sciences, oh, and from cool. the behavioral sciences who are interested in how their perspectives affect the way that people in business and government and nonprofits and the military think about what they do. Because um, if you think about it, a lot of what people uh, deal with in life is other people. Yeah, that. And 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 oddly enough, we don't really train people to think about people. That Holy well. cow! Multi-dimensional. I mean, th- that's where have you been for fifty years? <laughs> right? It's. A, I mean, this well, is it. This is the future because it's not an organization's not just a car. Right. It's got people in it. Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And so we're, you know, and, and what, what we find it's interesting, we have a, a master's program here, and the average age of our students in our program is 40, hmm. because I think it, I think it takes a while yeah. in the world until you look around and realize, you know what, <laughs> it's not money that's my problem, that's right. it's not, it's not the, 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 the finances, the accounting, the processes, it's the people. And, and at the point where you wake up and think, I need to know more about those people, that's when people come to us and say, uh, you know, help me. I love this. And you, you also have a pretty eclectic background, too, in that – so you've got the human kind of dimensions, the business side, but you were also executive editor of the Journal of Cognitive Sciences for nine years. That's a That's big right. deal. So cognitive meaning the way we think and the sciences of our thinking – well, you know, so the interesting thing is, yes, and that's it, that's also multidisciplinary, right? Yeah. So, so, so if you think about it, the the mind is one of the last great mysteries uh, that, that 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 human beings are trying to understand, and with any great mystery, it's a danger to think that you could come at it from any one perspective and figure it all out. Right. That that you know, and so what what cognitive science does is to acknowledge that we need to do some behavioral science, that's psychology, need to do a little bit of anthropology to understand cultural influences on thinking. We need to do some neuroscience to understanding what's understand what's happening in the brain, do a little bit of computer science to to look at how intelligent machines help us to understand intelligent humans, to do a little bit of education work to to think about about how the way we understand learning affects how we understand the mind and bringing all these different perspectives together. And I think, you know, what I, what I love about that is it's so easy to get locked into a particular perspective in anything you do in sure. life. And the, the more that you have people who think about the world differently than you, who come to you and, and, and make you rethink all of your fundamental assumptions, um, the, just, just the better life gets for you in, in whatever it is that you're doing. It's the, it, and, and it seems like universities more and more should be picking up more of these interdisciplinary 
like areas of study instead of just keeping everyone kind of compartmentalized in their little niche and then no one's really talking to each other. By the way, we got to get this out there, too. You play the sax in a blues band. I do. I do. Yeah. When my in my mid thirties I woke up one day and realized I'd never learned to play the saxophone. Serious? And I You went and then and learned? I, you and learned. I, yeah. And and I went out I went out and got and found a teacher and bought a saxophone and, cool. and my goal was that in my goal is that in, in ten years I wouldn't be terrible. And about ten years after I started playing I, I joined a blues band. So which, I, which, I think I'm officially not terrible. No, now now you're not terrible, and you can kind of hide in the band a little bit. But it's also all about improv, right? So blues bands yeah. are all about improv. So you've got the freedom to kind of play, be your part, but you still have to go with what everyone else is going with. It's a cool yeah. kind of human yeah. development tool. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a it's it's been a it's been a really enriching part of life, and. Uh, you know, and I and I encourage people to take on new things. You know, we, another thing that we get locked into is you know you get out of school, get out of college, and then you think, well, that's it, I'm done learning. Yeah. Uh, you know, or maybe I'll go back to school and and learn, you know, get a get a master's degree or something. But but people don't really say, you know, I, people say to me, what you took up the saxophone in your mid thirties? <laughs> well, and I, my feeling is, well, why not? Yeah, I still got lungs. Yeah, and I'm not I, and, dead. And, 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 and you know, and why why shouldn't I learn something right. new? I mean, it's, you know, I don't. You, 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 it's not like the only people who can learn to play an instrument are people who are fifteen. But see, that goes back to your premise of your article: conflicting goals can make you be- a better decision maker. You you're still tying it to you know your use, your independent use of life. I mean, you you may have made a decision to be a professor when you were younger, but that doesn't mean you still can't. Use and do something differently that motivates right. you later in life. But that's exactly right. And you know, it's funny. One of the um, people sometimes say to me, "Well, you know, okay, you're a psychologist. Have you, has your own life ever been influenced by the research you read?" And actually, the, the taking up the saxophone is one of those places because if you look at the research on regret. Um, you know, trying to make a long story short, uh, after a while, uh, researchers who studied regret started finding people in old age homes and asking them what they regret most. Right. And it turns out that unlike young people who tend to regret the dumb things they've done in life, um, old people tend to regret the things they didn't do. The, the dumb things they did in life generally have become good stories. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, it's the things that they never did that they begin to regret. And so I, when I, there I was in my mid-30s reading this research, and so I said, well, all right, so, so if I were old, what would I regret? And I realized, well, one of the things I'd regret is, is never having learned to play the saxophone. And so I figured, well, I'm still young enough to do something about that. That's awesome. I mean, and, and really, it's when we go to decision-making, I think a lot of us could have regrets if we keep – if we make the wrong decision for the wrong reasons. If I make the decision – just because I had a comparative analysis between girlfriend A and girlfriend B, but I never got down to my future motivation and, you know, who am I going to be with one-on-one the rest of my life? Or, or more importantly, if I, if I allowed other people's uh, mm. uh, beliefs to influence my decisions, right? So a lot of times you'll find people taking on careers, for example, because their parents oh, have pressured them to so take true. that career on. Well, you know what? Um, I mean, parents, I, and as a parent, I mean, I have, I have two, you know, two 20-year-olds and a 17-year-old, and, and, you know, I understand that, that I have a set of, of hopes for my kids, but the fact is they're the ones who have to wake up each day with themselves. That's right. And, and you know, and so if they were to, I mean, I've told them explicitly, don't, don't do things to make me feel better. 
right? You know, at the end of the day, you're the one who's got to do this, and, and you have to feel good about it, and you have to feel uh, motivated and excited about that. And and I really feel like, you know, a lot of people end up, you know, particularly at these influential ages, making decisions because somebody yeah. else wanted them to do this. To please thing. you. Well, and, then they'll subconsciously I'm, hold you accountable. They'll be mad yeah, at you. Well, yes, and sometimes, and then eventually consciously. Yeah, exactly. You then you'll pay for that. it. Yeah. Talk about, yeah, exactly. we've, we've got about a minute left, um, and we always kind of like, we like to leave with the one thing. If you could just think of one thing when it comes to better decision making, when we're conflicted, what would you say is the one thing to make sure we get right? Yeah, I, I would say the biggest thing to do is to try to engage yourself in the decision. And, and not to just try to step back from it and make a list of things, but really engage with it motivationally, listen to those feelings, listen to those emotions that you're experiencing, and, and allow those to help you guide things. A lot of times we, we want to do things that feel rational. A lot of times those things that feel rational aren't going to be as good decisions for us in the long run as the things that feel right to us in the moment that we make the choice. Love it. Love it. Appreciate you again. Dr. Art Markman, keep up the great work and keep, you know, interdisciplining, interdisciplining. Keep uh, pushing the envelope at all sides. Again, Art Markman, Ph.D. Go to his website, artmarkman.com. And uh, when you go there, just a great, a great writer at Psychology Today, an innovator. Check out his books as well, artmarkman.com. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to be talking to a BYU researcher about um, some research on brain scans and how they may be revealing a key to weight loss, especially in your kids, my friends. Interesting, interesting research. This is the Matt Townsend Show back on that topic right after this break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, according to the Centers for Disease Control, obesity has more than quadrupled in adolescence in the past 30 years. The percentage of children ages 6 to 11 years in the United States who were obese increased from 7% in 1980 to nearly 18% in 2012. In 2012, more than one-third of children and adolescents were overweight or obese. Childhood obesity is a big problem, and our guest Chad Jensen from the Department of Psychology at BYU took part in a study of teens' brains and, and their eating habits, and he may have found a key to weight loss in, those, in, that, uh, in that group. Welcome, Chad. Again, Dr. Chad Jensen to The Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Excellent. And this this is a big deal. I mean, you've got uh, Mrs. Obama. She's all over teen obesity. Right. We just read another study that uh, obesity for children in Puerto Rico is like 28%. It's 10% higher than even here in the United States. That's correct. In certain ethnic groups, the rates are significantly higher than that one-third in the and, overweight or obese category. And then you've been, you've been studying it. So t- tell us what – describe your study and maybe tell us what you found sure. that might be a key. Right. We're really interested in learning from folks who have been successful with weight loss because uh, obviously a, a, third of, a third of the population is a high number and the associated health, physical and mental health consequences are significant. So we were really interested in um, what is it about the, the neural functioning of folks who have been successful with weight loss. 
So in our study, we looked at three different groups. One group who uh, had a, a lifetime history of being normal weight, never would overweight. One group who'd, who were in the overweight or obese category. And then one group who had to successfully lost at least 10 pounds or more. That's our minimum criteria. That group actually on average lost about 30 pounds. Wow. So they'd lost quite a lot of weight. Okay. And within those three groups, we were interested in how their brains would respond to images of, of uh, different types of foods. So we uh, displayed images of, of high-calorie foods. Those would be things like ice cream, pizza, cookies, hamburgers, milkshakes, mm. those sorts of things. Yeah. Right? They look really tasty. Yeah. And everybody's brains uh, respond in a way that suggests that they find these appealing, right? So they're in a brain scanner. Correct. And mm-hmm. you're showing these pictures. That's right. Okay. And you, you, the assumption was everybody's brains would pretty much get into that. That's right. Uh, especially because we um, asked all the participants to fast for four hours in advance of the scan. So so they're they're all coming pretty hungry. We scanned them around lunchtime, and uh, they they'd fasted that morning, so they were they were ready to eat. Uh, so so most everybody's brains did as we expected, and you see um, you see activation in regions that are associated with reward. That means these things look good, and they they're feeling motivated to eat them. Yeah. Uh, and we were interested in, in whether there were differences across the groups uh, in a, a couple of different processes. And those processes we referred to as executive control. So one of the central findings of the study was that those in the successful weight loser category had a higher activation in regions associated with executive control. This uh, process is sometimes called inhibitory control also. And that means that this greater activation suggests that they're sort of putting the brakes on the desire to eat those foods. Oh, interesting. This is in contrast to our overweight and our normal weight groups, who, uh, for the normal weight folks, they don't seem to have to exercise as much executive control to inhibit the desire to eat those foods as do our successful weight losers. So in some ways, they're sort of working harder than people who've never had difficulty with being overweight. And those in our overweight and obese groups similarly had had, uh, less inhibitory control compared to those folks in the successful weight leader group. Wow. So is it is is the executive functioning? Isn't that like goal setting and task management and self-control? And is that prefrontal kind of cortex? That's right. That's exactly right. And that's the region where we have uh, we notice greater activation is the prefrontal cortex. And you're right that executive function implies planning for the future, thinking about consequences of actions. And in specific relation to food, this would sort of be you have a higher order goal that you want to manage your weight. It's interesting. You are able to control the impulse to uh, to be motivated to eat those foods that are high calorie foods. But now, the, the what were the age uh, ages of these yep. kids? Was it Same six to eleven? Nope. So this was ages fourteen. Okay. Through twenty. So that's so interesting. Sort of younger adolescents to early young adulthood, sort of. Did you did you evaluate if they've been taught and trained by family friends to have that? Is that a, is that something you're trained in? Brought yeah, up this in? Is, this is a great question. So executive control varies across individuals, and there's probably some genetic component to executive control, but there is some evidence that we can improve executive function. Yeah. So uh, in our study, we didn't specifically uh, assess whether they, you know, baseline levels of executive function varied across groups, although uh, within uh, subjects designed, meaning that we are looking within the individual across these different conditions, sort of gives us a sense for what their baseline is, because we're showing them also images of, of neutral stimulus. Like rocks and trees and okay, yeah. rocks, that sort of thing. So we can look across, you know, sort of neutral images versus the um, those high calorie and then and then low calorie foods, healthier options. 
So um, I, I would I would say probably the best answer to your question is yes, executive function is something you can learn, um, and it has some genetic component. But we're excited about the fact that this seems to be modifiable. So there's some evidence that we can train executive function uh-huh. and help people be able to exercise more control over desire to eat so high calorie foods. Let me make sure I got it straight. the The group that uh, was it the group that was successfully losing weight showed a higher that's exactly right. Function. So these were people that were that were weight or, or were overweight. That's right. Get lost at least a minimum of ten pounds, but on average thirty pounds. That's right. So they they had already gone through some experience, probably some severe, serious experience in weight loss. That's right. They they lost a significant amount of weight and maintained it at least over a year. So that is such great news. So it, it really is. Um, there's something about maybe exercising that that executive functioning that then maybe makes it stronger and makes it more, a more natural fire or a more natural response in the brain. Right, and and probably makes it um, easier for them to to uh, limit their consumption of high calorie foods. This is one of the promising findings: is that it it seems that they're more able to resist the desire to eat those foods. And uh, as I mentioned, there are some ways that we can improve executive function. This is one of our, our interest in future studies is to examine whether, whether we can help teens uh, who are overweight currently to exercise more executive control. A couple of ways, there's good evidence that exercise, aerobic activity, increases executive function. Oh, really? And so physical activity obviously is beneficial for weight loss because it burns calories, right? Yeah. Uh, but there's also... This, this study suggests that there may be an additional benefit of exercise in that it, it helps the brain to ex- exercise more executive control over dietary habits. Hmm. Do, do you have any just gut feeling on why uh, some people might yo-yo diet yeah. and kind of go up and, ha- I mean, and show higher maybe levels of executive functioning, but then regress and then lose it and then pull it back in. Yeah, yeah, this is a good question. I think that because our group represented people who had been successful over a relatively long period of time, over a year, uh-huh. and most of them had sort of continued to lose weight, it wasn't sort of like they were going up and down routinely. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, most of the evidence suggests that environmental pl- factors play a large role in that sort of uh, lose weight, regain weight uh, uh, pattern. Also, we see that fad dieting typically is associated with more um, more extremes, you know, quick weight loss and rapid and weight gain. Um, and so th- the folks in our study, we asked a lot of questions about how they lost weight, and, uh, and none of them reported using extreme diets. So their, their approach was lifestyle diet, where they, uh, lifestyle change, where they yeah. exercise more, you know, consume fewer calories, ate more fr- fruits and vegetables, and fewer foods that were high in calories. So that suggests to us that, you know, that this, this is obviously a um, a more sustainable pattern versus a diet where you cut out whole categories of food altogether for a period of time, which is difficult to, to maintain. And very few people do sustain that kind of uh, fad diet approach. That's so interesting. Did, did you see, I guess you probably haven't done it yet, but uh, any correlation between, you know, the, the youth 11 to, or 14 to 20 versus adults? It's a, it's a great question. We haven't, we haven't done a study comparing them. There are a number of studies in adults that, that highlight similar processes where there is similar executive function at, at play in helping people to lose weight and keep the weight off. So that suggests that, that the adolescents' brains respond in similar ways to adults. Yeah. We're really interested in, uh, in examining how that develops over time, however, because this, 
this study didn't give us a lot of, uh, of ability to compare across age cohorts, but that would be a very interesting uh, thing to look at because we know executive function develops uh, over childhood and even into early adulthood. Executive functioning is, is uh, still developing. I think this is so cool. I mean, it, it seems like executive functioning is it's kind of the make or break to healthy people in a lot of categories, most categories. I think categories. there's good evidence for that, yes. I think that, that it's a construct that many, many health psychologists are interested in because it seems to, to cut across health behaviors, you know, smoking, uh, diet, uh, things, like, things like exercise. I think that executive function has, plays a large role in health decision-making generally, so it has broad applicability. So when it comes to teaching executive functioning or strengthening it, yeah. one thing you're saying is more aerobic exercise yeah. helps, uh, lifestyle changes, anything else, and I guess just eating healthier, that that was what was a right. key to a lot of these. Anything else that we can do to specifically work on executive functioning? Yeah, there's, there's uh, some recent evidence that we can actually train executive function using some specific video games. And uh, this is an interesting cool. area. They're, they're not just your run-of-the-mill video games, but oh, they're darn. designed specifically to train executive function. Uh, they've been developed particularly for children with ADHD. Yeah. So, so ADHD is a construct that is is a disorder that's thought to have uh, to, to to really uh, have a big portion of the yeah. disorder explained by executive function. So they've uh, begun to develop games that that. Uh, train things like delayed rewards, right? Postponing yeah. rewards until a later time. So you have to save up save up uh, your tokens to get a later reward uh, that's larger at the end, right? And these, these sort of training paradigms uh, sort of reinforce postponing something that seems really great now for something that's uh, a larger goal that's more important that's to you huge. in the future. Yeah. So we're excited to look at, uh, look look into that question and sort of use some of those games. They're not yet commercially available, but I think there's great promise in helping to train teens. Um, and video games are often um, appealing for teenagers. Oh, so, for sure. So that there might be uh, good acceptability uh, to uh, an approach like a video game training for executive function. How cool is that? Well, you're on the front end right there, Chad. You're you're cutting edge. Thank you. You, you uh, BYU even invested in an MRI facility. That's, That's great. Right. That's actually good to know because I've had a headache lately. Yeah, yeah. This is the, <laughs> I was just going to drop first, by. Uh, first study published uh, from completely data com- completely collect- collected of the new MRI facility. So oh, we're excited cool. to see it published. Well, Chad, thanks for sharing it with us sure. again. We, we're going to have to get back with you when you get your your uh, more advanced on those of studies. Course. There, that's amazing. Good news. Chad Jensen is his name from the Department of Psychology here at Brigham Young University. It's a real deal, folks. It's happening. We're figuring it out. Now all of these great machines opening up our minds as well. We're going to take a break. That's hour number two. It's in the books, my friends. Done deal. We'll be back. Hour number three, starting up right here on the Matt Townsend Show after this break. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. We did it again. Hour number three. 
We are beginning it again. They have yet to fire us, so the show is apparently booming, rocking it. Welcome to the program. Remember, this is the program where we try to give you the tools to, to take over your life. And today's been a great show. We've talked about Bitcoin and learning and the power of goal setting and even how your brain impacts your weight loss. I've, you know, I, I'm mad now because I have to now blame my own executive functioning of my brain. So for it's why your, I it's your weight. fault yeah. who you are. I mean, it used to be without all this technology, we could just blame our parents. Now we got to take responsibility. You can still blame your parents. <laughs> I think that's okay. Your mom called. She says she's sick of you blaming her. It's a, it's a crazy time. We live in a, a crazy day and age. Can you imagine what more we are going to find out about what our brains are doing to us day in and day out? Like on my video game, 1010. Was that free? That's totally free. Actually, it costs you a career. It costs you family relationships. Family relationships. It probably you lose brain cells when you do it. Uh, but it, you know, I am learning a lot. I'm learning that you know I have a really sweet touch with a non-competitive Tetris game. There you go. I actually was playing it at a basketball game while my son was playing. My wife's like, "Were, were you going to watch the game?" Like it's basketball. Well, yeah. I've seen it. Let me just finish this line. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> and then other moms were wanting to compete with me, like talking smack. Like, oh, you play ten ten? I'm like, yeah. I bet I can beat you. Oh, really? Is that a throwdown? <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> Come on. Can you play against another person? I don't know. You don't know. Is that, that, that goes too far. That's kind of a, that's that's a bridge too far. Okay. That's just I like to just some play. of the games you can connect and yeah. play. No, each other. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure you could. Speaking of games, yeah, there's a lot of them going on in Washington D.C. Washington D.C. is a game, and there's a fun one if you want to watch it. it begins around eleven o'clock today. What's that one? The Israeli. Oh, the BB Barack yes, beatdown. The BB and Barack beatdown that Barack's not going to show up to. Yeah, he's not going. So to begin with, this morning, right before you have the all the the focus on this speech from the Israeli, is he a prime minister or is he the president? He's the prime minister. Okay, I keep saying president, but he's the believe. prime minister. Yeah. He uh, before he speaks, the Republicans announced that they will vote as early as today on a bill to, to uh, fund the Department of Homeland Security. Okay. For the remainder of the year without a demand for President Obama to rescind his executive order on immigration. So that was proposed. A, a vote was proposed. Yes. Did they take the vote? They, they should vote, as it says, as early as today. Oh, my heavens. And uh, House Speaker John Boehner told his caucus this morning that he was angered by Obama's executive order, but to pass this bill, it's the right thing to do. They'll deal with the executive order Okay, later. so let me get this straight. So yes. they shut down, almost shut down the government in the fiasco last week. Well, the home, Homeland Security. Yeah, the, the home, budget. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Shutting down the government. That's so last that's, year. That was so last year. So they almost <laughs> shut down Homeland Security, had a breakdown, all because the, of because of the immigration bill. And the, they didn't like President Clinton's immigration bill. And part of the funding for the immigration bill comes through this Homeland Security bill. Not necessarily. It was attached. Okay, attached. A they, writer. They, they, they took a bill that is controversial and yeah. attached it to something they should just pass, so, uh, which held up the funding the for GOP Department of Homeland Security. The v- virtually shut down Homeland Security in a, and fixed it at the last minute, threw out a one-week bill, and now Boehner is going to now – he's now telling his people, we're going to pass it yeah, we're just for gonna, a whole year. 
regardless of all the hullabaloo from last week. What? Yeah, he's okay. He's fixing things. We just need to pass this. We'll deal with the immigration issue later. Uh, you know what? Do over. In, in when I was a kid, we just yelled, "Do over." Yeah. Do over. Ollie, Ollie, income free. And everyone would come in, and then we'd start again. So in that case, somebody blinked. Okay. Depends on which side you're looking at. Yeah. Uh, so Prime Minister Netanyahu to speak. Mm-hmm. He uh, will speak at, as we said, 11 a.m. today. 11 a.m. Eastern. You can just see this. I'll just keep saying this that. This is cool. Yeah. Um, Iran rejected the proposed 10-year nuke, uh, nuke halt that Obama proposed and he talked about in an oh. interview yesterday. Yeah. Well, Iran came out today. Their foreign minister said the U.S. stipulation is expressed in unacceptable and threatening phrases, and Iran will not accept excessive and illogical demands. Oh, boy. They'll continue to negotiate with the, uh, the six-country team of negotiators they've been talking with, but not directly with Obama and his, uh, his plans that he had for that. He's in a weird position on this. You know, he's trying. He's with he's playing with the Death Star. <laughs> yes. Right. I guess. And the Death Star just said, no, we're not doing, we're that, not doing that demand. And meanwhile, BB, that's what he's really mad about. But that, it's interesting. Iran makes this announcement just before he yeah. goes into this, this speech, which apparently is the hottest ticket in D.C. right now. Oh, is it? He, uh, you know, Obama. More and than Mariah Carey. President Obama, Joe Biden, number of Democratic politicians are not going to be there. But he's going to speak, and uh, let's see, Michael Steele, he's a spokesperson for House Speaker John Boehner, made his analogy a bit more current. He said, if Taylor Swift and Katy Perry did a joint concert at Madison Square Garden wearing white and gold and black and blue dresses, (laughs) accompanied by dancing sharks and llamas, this would be the only way to be a tougher ticket than to see this speech today. Well, he got everything in that one. He tried. He got everything. Dancing sharks from the Super Bowl, llamas from the other day. That's a big ticket then. Because I think they want to just be – that's history. That's B.B. taking well, on Barack. History for the moment. Yeah, it's his, it's the history it's of the Two day. weeks down the road, will this matter? Who knows? But at the moment, everyone's really wrapped up in what is going to be said today. I guess it depends on what they say. That's what's crazy. But I, didn't the White House already put out but it, it a also, counter argument to yeah. everything he's going to say? But it's also the buildup mm-hmm. to the event that's causing the – it's like the, the Super Bowl. In, it, so. in some cases, yeah. and then at, I mean, you, you get the buildup, mm-hmm. and then you get the game, and it might not be that good. No, and then there's a line. Yeah, then there's a weird pass of the line. Yeah, and there's and it's over, and it's over real quick. And you're like, what just happened? And that may just, that may happen today. He may Netanyahu make it up there and just say that he's unhappy with what's transpired, and everyone's like, we know this, and yeah. what was the point of the speech? You know, it needs to happen. Who is the who's the cornerback for the Seahawks? Sherman. Is it Sherman? Yes. It's the, the big trash talker. And then Sherman, at the end of the whole thing, came over and gave his hand and shook hands with Tom Brady. And the NFL world was at peace. Right. That's what Barack and BB need to do. So Barack needs to just show up right at the end and yeah. shake hands. Everything's great. Yeah. Now, okay. it depends. If BB throws an interception on the goal line and just totally muffs up the speech, then Barack could extend a hand to Israel. So it's interesting. You have Iran making announcements right before the speech. Yeah. The speeches. And and uh, Boehner, of course, makes an announcement about the Homeland Security right before when all this attention is on right. D.C. So they're all trying to get their, their voices heard. And apparently it's just like if Taylor Swift and Katy Perry well, you a can, concert. Song. You can almost imagine 
that there's scalpers out in front. Of That's the what I was trying to imagine. I was trying to see if there were people trying Who to sell tickets? these. Is I need a, tickets. Is there some online uh, clearinghouse for tickets <laughs> to you know the waiting? Have you been there into the yeah, yeah. the congressional? I have chambers. There's no place to sit. No. In fact, we sat down and I go, don't lean over this. Uh, there, it, it wasn't in session. There was nobody there, but you're not allowed to go so far. And there was some security guy came and tapped me on the shoulder. He goes, you need to lean back. You can't lean over there. I think that's the deal. I think Congress needs to follow more of the, the road of the NFL. They know how to pack a house. Right. And they we, they could build a new stadium. There's basketball stadiums in that <laughs> vicinity they could have done this in. That's a great idea. More accommodating for the people. Right, James, write that down. Just write that down. Uh, just so a memo to self. Self. Uh, please make sure you call the Capitol and talk about a new stadium. Okay. Or, or a lease agreement with the, the Wizards Stadium, whatever yeah. that's called downtown in that's true. Washington. The, yeah, the Wizards. Not the bullets. Remember? When the wizards are on the road, that's when we have our big speeches. That's what they should do. I think do. that's a great idea. Yeah, a memo to self. Good job. Um, this next topic was really for you guys. Have you noticed you just don't have friends anymore? What? What? Maybe your close friends are all going away. You had a lot of friends in high school, right? You were popular. But have you noticed that you may have 800 friends on Facebook, but in reality, you only know 25 of them? We are going to be talking to Dr. Denise Cummins, who wrote an article all about this crazy problem we have. Why you might find it harder to make new friends. As we age, did you know that we actually make fewer and fewer friends? And we actually make different types of friends. It's an interesting dynamic And we are going to be talking with Dr. Denise Cummins, who's going to walk us through the process of friend-making. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've had quite the show of learning. All the different things that are going on with our brains, our lives, with Bitcoin, you name it. We've covered it on today's show. So, of course, keeping friends, that's one thing. Having friends, you know, that's another thing. But uh, one of the things that you may be noticing is for many adults, It may be years since you made a new friend. Think about that. When have you made a new friend? It sounds a little bit unsettling, doesn't it? You know, we we, we used to, as kids, we'd make friends all the time. We'd just go find a new playmate. Even as a parent, you could get more and more friends for your kids. But when it comes down to us as adults, maybe we're not quite getting it right. Or maybe we are, and we just don't understand how friendships work the older we get in life, we wanted to welcome a research psychologist who uh, wrote an article for Psychology Today entitled, Why You Might Find It Harder to Make New Friends. Dr. Denise Cummins is joining us. Denise, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. 
great to have you. Loved your article. And really, is it, I guess, do we just have weird expectations about how we're supposed to make friends? Because we started making them as kids. And are we supposed to make them the same way as adults? Uh, the answer is, is yes and no. Um, the, we do need to change the way we think about friendships, um, because most of us tend to think of friendships as um, something from which we derive emotional sustenance, and that is very important, and we usually will have a core group of friends um, during our life um, that will provide that emotional sustenance. Sometimes, you know, many of us have friends that we've been friends with since high school or, or elementary school, something like that. But in terms of um, the kinds of friendships that we form as we get older, they serve a different purpose um, because we become different people. Right. Uh, as, as, uh, as we're children, uh, as I mentioned in the article, where we tend to be ourselves. You know, we have, uh, we have our interests and we tend to connect um, with other children or other, <coughs> excuse me, um, adolescents. And it's also easier to do that um, because we're in school. Uh, so we, uh, you know, we're in clubs after school and things like that. And the three conditions that sociologists have told us is, you know, crucial for, for making uh, social connections is proximity, repeated unplanned interactions, and a setting that encourages people to let their guard down and mm. confide in each other. That gets harder as we get older. As we get older, we become parents, uh, we pursue our careers, and so we meet people in different venues for which some of these things are not appropriate. So, for example, with your coworkers, it probably is not appropriate uh, in, in most cases to confide personal aspects of your life. Nonetheless, the, the, the social connections that you make as an adult um, through your work or through making friends with the parents of your, of your children, or so, they, they serve a very important, important purpose. They, they keep us socially connected. They keep us uh, talking to people. They keep us involved in the social network, but they serve different roles. And if we continue, continue to use the same metric of what a friendship is, the same definition, um, we can <clears throat> sometimes end up um, uh, thinking that we're not doing as well as we actually are. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you, all of a sudden you're like, I don't seem to be getting any depth with my friends anymore. But in reality, if you're like, I see my wife has a lot of proximity and repetition mm-hmm. with a lot of people at, you know, sporting events for our children. Mm-hmm. But, but like you said, that's not a great place to go be vulnerable and let your guard down. But so she might be feeling frustrated because a lot of her social interactions tend to revolve around her kids now. She's a mom. Right, <clears throat> exactly, and um, it, it, we. I, I went through this when my children were younger too, and I and I made a number of friends with their uh, with the parents of of their friends. But on the other hand, um, these people were not. It, it, they we didn't have a lot in common. Um, if it weren't for the case that we had children the same age who were interested in the same activities, we probably would never have right. run into each other. Uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, they were pleasant. Um, uh, many of them I've lost contact with as my children has, have grown and, and, uh, and gone on with their lives. Um, but nonetheless, they served a very important purpose then. It kept me connected uh, to a social world. We helped each other. Uh, so they they were they were important in their own way, but um, many of them were not people that I would, of course, right. take into my confidence and you know divulge personal things about myself uh, that wouldn't have been appropriate, and it probably would have um, 
you know, cause a certain degree of discomfort yeah. in those relationships had I done that. It's interesting because you, it also is a sign that you're socially skilled, you're adept, you can meet people, you're talking right. to people. And, and yet, mm-hmm. if our expectation is that it should be rich and profound, maybe when it was, when we were younger, I mean, when we were younger, we were, we were building our social network, we were building our identity, our right. purposes. It was all about kind of us. Right. But as we get older, it ends up being, about our job, about our... It's kind of more categorized in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and, you take on different kinds of uh, persona. You, you have different social roles that you're playing, and those social roles are going to be connected to other people. But there is a core, a core you. Yeah. And it could be the case that your core you is also... Uh, you know, so, for example, if you're an artist, the core you is an artist, and then you become... You know, that's what you do for your, your livelihood, you know, is be an artist. And you're probably going to uh, find yourself socializing in the art world with other people who can connect to your core self. But uh, for most of us, we, um, uh, you know, we go into the workplace and there's a, there's a diverse variety of people there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and they, have, they each have things to offer. We have things to offer them. But they may not connect with our core self. And, and that's okay. And, and I guess that's the key to this, huh? Is we just have to recognize... It's different roles and, and manage the expectation behind it that this is, you know, this, this these relationships really might help me at work, but they might not necessarily connect to my core. And, right. And then I guess and go redirect. Be emotionally huh? satisfying, but at a different level. Yeah. And then I guess part of that is just then go, we, we have the ability, I guess, to then turn and go find people that do connect to us. But we have to almost intentionally go yeah. looking for those types of people. Yeah, and that's that's where it gets hard because uh, especially if we have young children and yeah. and we have and or we have car, you know careers, young children in themselves are are careers. Uh, they 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 consume an awful lot of our time as as they should. Mm-hmm. Uh, they 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 require our attention and our and our care. Um, but uh, because of that, by the time we're we're done tending to uh, to our family and and tending to our careers, if we also have a career, there's there's not a lot of time and energy left over. It's true. Uh, to you know, to go out and pursue you know making new friendships. Nonetheless, it is it is important to do so. Um, it is important basically to to, to make a commitment to uh, to being to being social. Uh, reconnecting with with friends, keeping in contact with friends. That you know, one of the nice things about Facebook, for example, is that I can keep in contact with with friends who are now scattered all over the country, right. uh, and I have colleagues all over the world, and it allows me to have them in my lives and in, uh, in my life on an everyday basis. Uh, uh, whereas before, you know, you'd write a letter, and two months later, somebody might reply when they found time to do it. Now, you know, instantaneously we can post things and, and, and keep up to date with what's going on in each other's lives. But you do have to get out um, and, you know, have, uh, have contact with people in your, in your physical, uh, you know, geographic area as well. That, that is pretty important. So we need to, you know, make an effort to do that. You, you, you talk about in your article, and I love the word, um, you, one of your rules for how to respond to this chain, these changes is to go out and look for con specifics. Yes. So mm-hmm. con specific, I guess, is somebody con with specific traits that are more a part of you. Yeah, it's uh, a con specific is a term actually taken from uh, from ethology. It's it's uh, so people who who study other species will use the term con specific. So um, you know, a, a dog will look for another dog, or you know, something yeah. like that is, is something. So it's it's a good term to think about though because. Um, 
uh, there are some people who are gifted and they can make friends with anybody. Yeah, right. Uh, they can just go out there and they, they work the room and, and you know when they're done, they, they've made 50 new friends. <clears throat> Most of us, on the other hand, uh, are a little bit more socially awkward. And so what we need to do is we need to zero in on people who we, we're pretty sure we will be able to relate to. Um, and usually uh, shared interests is, is what makes it in, you know, important. So, you know, if you're a jogger uh, and you overhear that somebody, you know, uh, is, uh, has entered into a, a marathon or a half marathon or something, that's a good, you know, that, that's a good bet. That's somebody that you might want to, you know, stroll over mm-hmm. to and say, oh, you know, I, I hear you're a runner as well. So conspecific um, uh, I like to use that term in ter- because we, we look and we say, you know, what part of ourselves sh- can we share with somebody else? And we need to find people who who ha- who share those elements with us. They are conspecifics for us. They are like us in some way. Yeah, and it just seems I, I think that's so powerful. Just in my own life, I mean, I have a church congregation that is, you know, they're part of my life and they're there all the time. But it doesn't mean. I have conspecifics with them, and yet be, mm-hmm. there, there might even feel an obligation for me to try to integrate and, and find my best friend or find my kind of my conspecific alter ego, I don't know what we're calling it, um, mm-hmm. in that group. And yet mm-hmm. managing that expectation that maybe it's not in a group, maybe it's not in a space, it's just you kind of have to go start specifically targeting, looking, finding. Yes. Yes, you, and that, the interesting thing about that is you find out, uh, you get to know yourself better. Yeah. You start to think, you know, what is it that I'm interested in? What is it that matters to me? You know, what do I have, a, uh, you know, what are my passions? And then you put yourself in places where there's likely to be other people who are interested in those things. Yeah. You know, it could, and it could be something as simple as, you know, your passion is basketball, right? And yeah. so you, you go to basketball games and, uh, you know, you, you, you maybe go to a, a sports bar, you yeah. know, before or after. And, uh, you know, those are usually good places for, you know, people to just call out their opinions and, and, and to make friends. So, so it could true. be something as simple as that. Uh, but it, if you think of it from that term, you know, if we're, if we're looking for soulmates, in, you know, in terms of friends, as we get older, we're probably going to be disappointed. And the research tends to support this, that um, our social networks, um, sort of these, these close social networks of, of best friends, we, we form those when we're young, and yeah. they, they tend to be enduring. Um, but then we will make lots of other friends, you know, during, usually during, uh, uh, you know, our, our 20s uh, primarily, and those will shrink or they will change uh, as, as time goes by. As we get older, we tend to focus in back. Our, our, our social networks will shrink, but they will shrink down to, to the ones that are providing mm-hmm. uh, the most emotional sustenance, the most um, uh, kind of uh, fulfilling our, our deepest social needs. That's, so, I, I think that's a huge We shouldn't worry too thought. much about this. No, totally. I think that, and I think that's a healthy thought just to get it in your head that you may not be going out and finding that new kind of soulmate friend. But, uh, I mean, so maybe it is time to go connect back to some of the old ones and to build those. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Dr. Denise Cummins. She's going to continue this discussion, give us a few more rules for what else we should be doing to, to secure some friendships and uh, make sure we're not missing opportunities. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone is Dr. Denise Cummins. And uh, friends, do you feel like you do a very good job there? Do you feel like you have enough friends? Let's get the idea straight. What, what really makes a friend? What keeps a friend? What should your expectation be? You know, it might be one thing if you're a 10-year-old, you, what you would expect in a friend may be different than what you might need as a friend as a parent, a mother. So we've asked research psychologist Dr. Denise Cummins to join us. She's the author of Good Thinking, Seven Powerful Ideas That Influence the Way We Think. She also has held faculty and research positions at Yale University, the University of California, the University of Illinois, and the Center for Adaptive Behavior at the Max Planck Institute in Berlin. You can visit her website um, at denisecummins.com, Denise Cummins, C-U-M-M-I-N-S, Com. Denise, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great to have you. I love this. Um, I love these ideas that, that you also posted. A lot of times we hear of research, we learn of research, but we we sometimes are left not knowing what to do. And in your article that uh, we found, I believe it was Psychology Today, you mentioned yeah. specifically four things we should be doing. One of them was that. Uh, as we age, so do our connections. You you mentioned that we should specifically go looking for, uh, what do you call it, specific? Conspecifics. No, conspecifics. Mm-hmm. Go out and look for mm-hmm. conspecifics, places where we relate to other people, uh, specific things about them that we might be able to connect on and, and find friends that way. Another idea was to accept invitations even if you don't want to go. See, that's one of my problems. Mm-hmm. I, I'd rather just not go because I'm totally fine without friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that sad? It seems sad. Uh, actually, no. If I, if I can mention, there was a, a recent study uh, published in 2013 in the Journal of Gerontology by some German researchers, and they, uh, they looked at uh, uh, about uh, 2,000 um, middle-aged and older adults. And one of the things that, that, uh, that came out, um, oh, uh, and in addition to another study that was done in, uh, published in the Journal of Epidemiological Community Health in 2013 with some British about 6,000 British men and women. And one of the things that came out of there is that kinship um, <clears throat> networks are, very, are much more important to men. So in other words, both okay. men and women, friends are important. It's uh, predictive of, of psychological health. Uh, you know, late, in later age, the, the, the size of your social, your, your friendship network. But for men, the, the, one of the biggest things, uh, far bigger than it was for women, interestingly, was uh, the size of their kinship network, really? family and extended family. Huh. Yes, um, that uh, uh, men who had uh, who had um, uh, a larger kinship network uh, actually had uh, better indices in terms of psychological well-being than men that, than men who did not. So men are deriving uh, a lot of satisfaction from their from their families. That's great. Um, who who'd yeah. have thunk? I mean, because mm-hmm. that's interesting. I mean, I guess it makes mm-hmm. sense too. Because I mean, my wife my wife's social network is incredibly big. And mm-hmm. and yet I just I love just going home and being with my kids. Yes, yes, and that was a, something that both of those studies found and were actually surprised at. Hmm. In fact, uh, <clears throat> in the German study, they said contrary to our expectations, the probability of belonging to uh, a discerning type of friendship—that is, a, a a type of friendship style where you want very many very close or you want a few very close friends—yeah—that um, was actually lower for women. Uh, than compared uh, compared to men, women huh. tend to be part of larger social networks. 
that are defined with many these many different roles, usually through uh, you know through fan, uh, through you know uh, parenting. Uh, and also through career, whereas men tended to have uh, smaller social networks, but the the single biggest predictor of their um, their emotional health, their psychological well-being, was the, was family. Wow! So you guys are getting a lot of emotional sustenance. That's great uh, from 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 your family. Well, it's and interesting. you should be appreciative, right? <laughs> I tell exactly, exactly. It's interesting. It, it, it's so because a lot of times, you know, we may not step up as much with the family when we're there but it's we also like uh i don't know there's just something calming about that so we should accept invitations you know go out do what you can i I have the rule that i should always accept them and i can always leave when i want to yes and it just seems to kind of work for me if it if it's Mm -hmm. if it's too much i can go another rule you give though is appreciate that what people look for in friends has changed and you kind of have driven that home because we have different stages of friends and what we need out of that relationship. Talk about that mm-hmm. for a sec. Well, when we're, you know, in school and we're teenagers uh, and, in, and in college, we, we tend to, you know, we want to find people who are like us or we're looking for, you know, we want to hang out with the cool kids or, you know, those kinds of things. And we, we tend to evaluate people, uh, especially in young adulthood, um, in terms of how cool they are, how popular they yeah. are, how, how fast they run, they are. Um, do they have a cool opinions? As you get older, you get wiser, and you begin to realize that people just want company. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not necessarily looking to be entertained. You don't care if your friends are, are entertaining or smart or interesting, or they, you know, they're constantly bombarding you with really cool opinions. That sort of recedes, and what you just want is sociality. You know, you just want to be with other people who seem to want to be with you. And there's a, there's a, there's a comfort from that. There's a, it gives you kind of a bedrock of stability uh, in, in your life, uh, that there are just these people who want to be with you and you want to be with them. So as we, as we age, uh, and, you know, we mellow out a little yeah. bit, we begin to realize that it's just company. We're just looking for company. That's what's important. Powerful. Uh, we have about 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Talk about what's, what else would you say? What's the one thing that we should remember um, that might help us create more sociality, more company? If, if there's just one piece of advice, what would you leave us with? I would say uh, get out there and accept invitations. Give and accept invitations. Get out it's there. like anything else. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of rocky at it at first, and the more you do it, you get better at it. Yeah, and the better you get, the more calm you can be in actually facilitating camaraderie That's right. and friendship. That's exactly. powerful. Well, Denise, we appreciate you. Keep writing. Keep doing the great work you're doing. And uh, now Thank we you. now we have a new friend in Dr. Denise Cummins. Right. Exactly. We'll Thank get you, you back much. on the I show. Enjoyed being on the show. Thank you so much, and and we enjoyed having you. Uh, it's so I love that idea that she brings up that so much of your so many of your friends come from your roles and the roles you play as a uh, father, as a husband, as an employee, as a radio show host, and those become my friends. Uh, and then you know when they all leave and leave me here alone during the day. I take my nap under my desk, and when I'm going to bed, I think of them. I think of how close we are. And then I feel renewed when I get back up. Friends, they're, they're a powerful resource, right, to, to energize. And uh, maybe we just need to manage our expectations. Sometimes it's okay. Just go home and be with your family. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to be visiting our good friends down at BYU Sports Nation. We've got uh, an update on Jerem Jordan's haircut. Do you remember? 
he lost his locks because he uh, lost a bet. We're going to make him, by the way, give him a very special award up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. One of the great times of the show every day is when we take a journey down to Studio B, downstairs. We like to do so via video camera. And we look at the uh, wonderful pairing of Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Matt Townsend. With how, how did with you that. pick that music that you bring back to the show in, before this segment? Uh, it's, it's from Hee Haw in the 1970s. <laughs> what a glorious! Do you not remember Hee Haw? Well, I remember Hee Haw. Jerem, I don't do you? know what it is. Oh, you don't know what Hee Haw is? What's Hee Haw? Oh, dude, well, it's a variety What's, show, man. It's, it has sounded like that a little bit. It's a variety show, kind of from Nashville. Yeah, it huh. was incredible. So I, when I got here, I said, "They said, Matt, you can have any music you want." We have Sam Carden, an incredible musician that would design any music. I'm like, no, give me something from Hee Haw. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, so Sam Carton has an office in this building. Oh, yeah, he does. <laughs> right down Great. the hall. It's amazing. And now, here's the deal. Jerem Lamon Jordan. What's your middle name, Jerem? Tate. I am so proud of you, dude. I cannot hold back. You did it. You done buzzed your head. Yeah. Mama's proud. <laughs> like, seriously. And don't pet that rabbit, Lenny. That's what you told me. <laughs> that, you look, honestly, you look great. Your head looks great. And take away. It's taking getting used to. For those in listener bit. land, you you put it out there that if BYU beat Gonzaga, you would shave your head. In Spokane. In Spokane. Yeah. So, by the way, have you ever watched the show Prison Break? A little bit. Oh, I yeah. Totally. Like, oh, yeah. Yesterday, yeah. <laughs> while, while we were doing it, I kept spitting out different, you know, hey, I'm Natalie Portman from V for Net Vendetta. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm The Last Airbender. Hey, I'm G.I. Jane. That's Hey, better. I'm uh, Somebody... Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. Hey, I'm Walter White. Hey, I'm You're Wentworth White. Miller from uh, Prison Break. <laughs> Add it to the list, baby. He's the dude. <laughs> you, but honestly, I'm going to give you an award. Because oh, sweet. You, you have become my hero of the day. So we always we try to do a hero regularly. But you're one of my Townsend's heroes. You're actually the hair hero of the day. Wow. For, That's quite the honor. I for courage that. and and valor in the barber chair. You nobly sacrificed your rugged good looks to motivate Cougar Nation. If that's what it took to get the win in Spokane, I will gladly pay that fee. <laughs> Honestly, dude, I wouldn't have done it. I would have said I was going to do it, and then I would have run out of this building uh, like a tiny little child. <laughs> there was some anxiety right before it started to oh, go yeah. down. I, I described it as uh, being, you know, you go with your friends to the swimming pool, and there's a really a high dive like 30 feet up. Yeah, or yeah. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah, Come on, Jerry, do it. Do it do then it. you get up there, and you <laughs> panic at the top. Yeah. I, I don't know what it's like to go up to the top and not panic. And so that panic was, oh, my gosh, this is actually going do down. This. Hey, now that you shaved your head, is every metaphor going to be a swimming metaphor? <laughs> I've had so many people come at me with so many puns, jokes. Every, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. Honestly, yeah. I'm proud that you did it. Because, in, in fact, Spencer and I met uh, actually in the restroom accidentally. <laughs> so I, I ought not say we met. We just passed. <laughs> Yeah, come we, on, yeah, man. Yeah, it's probably better for you. We ran that. into each other. We ran into each other. We passed each <laughs> other. Anyway, we saw each other yesterday, and um, it was really cool to see how much 
respect Spencer had for you, Jerem. That was way cool. Spencer's one of the best dudes I've ever met. He really is. You guys are a good combination. Hey, I don't know if you guys have heard this just because of the hair thing, but um, BYU football started yesterday. Spring football. Wait, what? Yeah. How yeah. about how about that was a backstory because of what happened against Gonzaga? Football yeah, exactly. is rarely, rarely Where is, in second yeah. place in any category. It takes a backseat again today for us. We're really? going to mention what happened with spring football, but it's not the focus of the show. Oh, my heavens. You guys have got so much going on. March is a busy month, and we love it. Love it. Hey, love we, it. We love way, the busy months. Two the bu- fi- one more thing. I got Actually, two more things. Um, just before we break. You know my boss, Don Shaline? Yes. He shaved oh, yes. his head. Yeah, we're, to yeah, we're buddies that to way. You, Jerem. Anyone I see in the hallway or anywhere, I'm like, hey, what's up here, buddy? And is it true, Spencer, that next week you're actually going to have your back waxed? Uh, <laughs> again? <laughs> yeah, that was something we discussed when we yeah, met. When we were passing by. Yeah. <laughs> You guys, well, a, you guys had a weird situation, yeah. man. It, there was a long line. And <laughs> you met in the bathroom yeah. and discussed but he, j- anyway, Spencer, Spencer has all of this hair poking out of his collar, and I'm like, dude, you got to get that. Yeah, it's uh, out of control a little anyway. bit. Hey, tomorrow we need to have our Anchorman name discussion, Matt. Okay, oh, don't oh, let us forget that. Okay. You heard about okay. this? No, but let's write it down. Anchorman name. Why? They're trying to name an Anchorman? It, no, it's fun. Everyone has an Anchorman Every, name. There's everyone a certain, has an Anchorman. There's, there's a, a formula. situation. Yeah, okay. formula. Okay. And it's fun. All right. All right. Should we go get ours ready and then talk about it? Or are well, you, going you don't to... know the formula. Well, sh- okay. That's a tease. Okay. This uh, is called a tease. Oh. Is this how For you tomorrow. do it? We, yeah, we never tease anything on our show. <laughs> this is good. Okay, tomorrow I'll, I'll learn my Anchorman name. Okay. Sounds Th- good. That's good. And um, remember, if you guys any, want any hee-haw hits, come, do, on, do, do, come do, on over do, to my do, office. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Take care, guys. All right, man. Have a great show. That's cool. Seriously, who would shave their head? James, would you ever shave your head? Maybe. What would it take? What would it take? Um, let's do it right now. Let's say five thousand dollars in tens and twenties. Wow! How about in Bitcoin? Sure. Yeah, I, I accept Bitcoin as well as of last week. Really? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Did you guys hear the uh, sad news about Sylvester Stallone had a had to break up a brawl on the set of a Rocky movie, a new Rocky movie? Seems like a very appropriate place to have a brawl. So what, Rocky Twelve? It's uh, it's called Rock into the Oldies. <laughs> No way. No, I don't know. It's called, it's called, <laughs> I was like, really? It's called Creed. Sylvester Stallone broke up a brawl on the set of his new Rocky film Creed on Friday. A source on the production near Philadelphia said things became violent when British boxer Tony Bellew, who plays the character named Pretty Ricky, turned on an actor playing his corner coach in the middle uh, of the scene. And it got crazy, and Stallone went crazy and immediately flipped out and began screaming over the fight and ordered it to stop. He halted shooting, sent all the extras out of the building. Was he screaming, Adrian? Adrian! Adrian! (laughs) Baloo! (laughs) Anyway, Baloo became too aggressive with the cast member. No punches were thrown, however. But sad. It's sad when it turns to this. Is it sad that there's another Rocky movie or that 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 event happened? Yes. Okay. That's <laughs> it all set. Is it's, he going to go yes. like a, a Rambo movie one year and a Rocky yeah. movie next year till uh-huh. the end of Well, they say his until days? the franchise dies, but it's probably going to be he's going to die. It, how long till he turns Rocky into like an MMA crossover thing? Dude, cuz boxing it's eh. not going to happen. That guy, that I, who wants to see a bunch of old people box. <laughs> By the way, 
uh, Ramsey, the female MMA artist. Yes, the 14 seconds. 14 seconds. Yeah. Again. To neutralize we were, opponent. We were talking about like the Super Bowl or like the speech today. Yeah. There's all this buildup and all uh-huh. this excitement. Yeah. In that situation, that went on for months and then 14, 14 seconds, seconds, it's over. Bada boom, 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 boom. She walked ah! out, threw a knee and then wrapped her up and put her in an arm bar of some kind and yeah. she tapped out. It reminds me of one of my know. dates in high school. <laughs> You've tapped out? I'm done. I'm tapped Or did she tap out and run she, away? No, she, she put me in an arm bar. All right. It was bad. It was way bad. Hey, um, any more headlines we got to cover before we wrap this show up? Cadbury eggs. Mm. Do you like do you, do you like yourself a Cadbury I, I egg? I can only do one, and then I get too much sugar in my system, then I'm twitchy. With Easter on the way, uh, it's been around for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. The story, I thought I'd bring it up just, okay. to, just to make, make sure. sure everyone yeah. knew. Yeah. Kraft Foods, they purchased... Cadbury, or Cadbury eggs. Oh, yeah. They admit that they have tinkered with the recipe oh, of great. the eggs. The eggs outside chocolate shells are not made from the Cadbury's delicious dairy milk chocolate. No, not they're the macaroni. Same. Are they macaroni? No. The craft spokesman told the mirror that the chocolate will be made from a standard cocoa mix instead. No. Uh, so they're messing with the Cadbury egg. It might not taste as rich and creamy as before. Why would you buy a brand that is known for rich, creamy, I think it's gross, quite honestly, because who wants to eat a raw egg, a they, raw chocolate egg? They t- they make them differently in England than they do here. I know, but so I, I have a feeling we're not getting the English version. They bought the name, and then in the U.S. we don't get the English version. That's what they did. That's so wrong. It's cheaper yeah. for them to make it, but they don't lower the price, obviously. So but they, they are going to make a killer Cadbury mac and cheese. Mm, releasing a, tr- a cheese egg. More of a chocolate powder instead of the... How the dare cheese. they? Yeah. You don't mess with perfection. Now, public sentiment might get them to change their mind, but at the moment... If you have an issue with current. this, give us a call. <laughs> Tell Actually, us about your need for chocolate. No, we're already the laughing stock of chocolatiers, the United States is. Yes. We never take first place in chocolate-arama or the Olympic chocolate games. Chocolate-arama. Because we we're always replacing it with the standard cocoa powder. And then powder. everyone's like, have you ever tried Swiss chocolate? <sighs> You ever tried whatever? So, Easter might be ruined because of the Cadbury <sighs> egg. Totally. Just keep that in mind. It's good. Hey, uh, today was a great show. Anything stand out for you guys? I, I learned a lot. Bitcoin. You like the Bitcoin. I do. Are I you- find it interesting that uh, people decided to get together and create a currency and then just, you know, kind of out of thin air type. I mean, it's just math. It's computers. They, they made this whole infrastructure, and people have faith in it enough to invest money in it. That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you can make something, but the point where you take real money and put it into a virtual currency, mm-hmm. that's a, a – it's, it's a, for me, a step too far. But it's about as magical, honestly, as uh, like a Chia pet, which no one thought would take off. But Chia Pets took off, as did Pet Rocks. These were all in my – Yeah. nobody thought that and, stuff and, would work. And you asked, is this a trend? Is this just something that – you know, wh- yeah. where will it be? And, and our guest said that it could take over the New York financial markets if it goes that far. I'm like, well eh, – That's a big deal. That's, that's a big step. <laughs> but I also liked the – what they call it? A blockchain. Is that what he called it? The blockchain. Yes. Where everything – any document you've ever needed in your life – can then be stored in this blockchain so it's permanent. Again, as permanent as the ether could be. 
Mm, that was cool. Uh, another thing that stood out for me was um, the uh, – did you have something, James? Oh, just – I was going to say executive function. Loved it. That was really cool. That was way cool. The weight loss and they're finding out that people that – kids or kids uh, that had lost 10 to 30 pounds of weight – had a different function go off in their executive functioning part of their brain. They had a different kind of uh, result than those kids that were obese or had never lost weight. People that had actually lost weight actually ended up changing their brain functioning. They were more likely to be able to go set goals and make stuff happen. That was really cool. Also, ADHD and video games, those are coming out again someday. Video games that can actually help you to get away and, and or to better manage your ADHD. Well, that's it, folks. Good stuff. Thanks for joining the show and listening. Remember, we couldn't do it without our friends listening in with us. We're here every Monday through Friday, uh, 9 to noon Eastern time. Join us again tomorrow for more fun, more ideas right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.